you. Mid-South Gardening, glad y'all could join us this morning. So, uh, Kenneth, I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was blaming you. Well, don't. Don't. Jim, I used to be indecisive, but uh, now I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, and, and she said she was blaming me for him being up on the little stepladder here. Yeah, yeah. Trying well, to, you know, thanks know. for telling my wife that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just now, there's it's proof, it's taped, it's recorded, all of that. Um, so where there's a will, I want to be in it. There's a way. No. <laughs> That's just wrong. I know. Since light travels faster than sound, some people appear bright until you hear them speak. True that. (laughs) You know. If I agreed with you, Jim, we'd both be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, good morning. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And and I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseryman in... uh, instigator of this yeah. nonsense <laughs> nice let's see oh on the facebook did you see my reply I, to I you did. it took you four days to find it, it did <laughs> didn't it <laughs> thank goodness for notifications <laughs> oh my goodness he said um we were talking about spinosin and tent caterpillars and yeah. the trees and stuff and so i answered it and then what was jim's th- yeah, answer I, I happen to know this this particular person because i've been out to their house to give them some pointers and i said <laughs> You know, it doesn't happen often, but this time I agree with Veda. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> gave took, him the laughing it emoji. Took her, it took her four days four to days. find it. <laughs> and Spinoza is one of these really good bacterial insecticides, you know, and uh, been on the market, what, probably 12, 15 years uh, now? Yeah, that's probably right. Maybe and, a uh, but very, very safe to use, uh, very broad spectrum mm-hmm. in what it controls. But if you're talking about caterpillars, uh, and you want to go really o- organic, BT and Spinoza, you can't beat. Yeah, Spinoza a good product. You know? it, um, it's made from two particular chemicals, Spinoza A and Spinoza B, that are, it's, they're secreted by this particular uh, bacteria. Crazy. Um, yeah, which was found in an abandoned distillery in the Caribbean. Uh, by a microbiologist who was on vacation. <laughs> he needs to get a life. That's, <laughs> that's what sure. I was thinking. <laughs> but he, has, anyway, he has one now. But yeah, anyway, he, uh, it's never been found again in nature. Uh, huh. So it's um, all of what we have are from the cultured samples that he brought back with him. Wow. Uh, so anyway. That's just, I mean, the luck uh, right. or however it is that he's on vacation and sees this where anybody else is never going to notice. But luckily he was there to find this out, um, which then something you said made me think of uh, they have spot or found this bee that was extinct, they thought, from 1981, and now they may have found some. And the Might bee, have found some. Or they did, oh. actually. And like the bee, our regular honeybees are the size of the head of the big bee. Yeah, this thing was, um, it, it was a, described last time in like 1909. And it wasn't seen for 80 years or something. And then they, there was a, a sighting, which was recorded, and then hadn't been seen again. So uh, It has mandibles. Yeah. Wow. I know. And it hasn't been seen again, you said? Hadn't until just recently, yeah. 
Now, does this thing have a stinger on it? Um, I would assume so. Yeah. yeah. If it's as bad as those, but mandibles. it's not here. Okay, it's it's right. a it's a Southeast Asia mm. issue. Well, but you know what usually happens. <laughs> yes. You know, we usually wind up getting everything here right yeah. in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, it'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. I thought I'd just go ahead and warn us all. Look for the bee with the mandibles. That's five times bigger than the regular bee. Good. Yeah. Well, as long as it pollinates, we'll be in good shape, right? Well, yeah, that's true. Huh. It can get a lot more done. Yeah. yeah. Put that big thing out there. Here, go pollinate. It's like a Jurassic Park bee. Oh, what about this weather? You know, mm. you know. Did, so did y'all go, did you close because of the tornado or did y'all just? We left a little early that afternoon, yeah. about four, I think. That's 4:30. when we About left. 4.30. Yeah. I was, I <clears throat> had noticed like I was watching it come over the river when it was mm-hmm. going to get over the river and I'm in Midtown. And so I'm like, okay, I can leave and, and be in front of the storm the whole time. Well, the storm guy are a little faster than normal, but I still beat it out. I got on the interstate, and I'm like, okay, it's behind me. But it followed right on my tailpipe the whole way to the house, and right when I got there to open the door, it just busted. Yeah, it got wet going in, in the house, you know, yeah. and thank goodness for the bluff we have over there. It seems like these big storms come across Arkansas. They hit that bluff and kind of bounce off and head north. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. It, it really is. It is. But, you know, it's still this, man, this whole year, if you Mm -hmm. think about it, has been pretty darn wet. Yeah. uh, And cool and and chilly. And windy. But wet, wet. Let me say wet again. And then, of course, even this weekend, you know, more more water. So, I don't know. The Easter egg uh, hunt, you know, it might be still on. We don't know yet. Oh, Hey, um, what Aren't about... Aren't you getting too old for that? Not <laughs> at all, Jim. <laughs> oh. I was thinking that. You see, I was just being quiet on that one. Um, which makes me think of all the rain, and a lot of people think the rain's acidic. Is it acidic? I guess it rain? is. Yeah. So what... Average, it, average pH is about 5.6. But, I mean, but we don't call it acid rain yeah, around that, here. That's normal. <clears throat> to really be acid rain, it has to be much Lower? <coughs> lower than that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have um, water falling through the air, it actually reacts and forms carbolic acid uh, with the stuff in the air mm-hmm. so that it is slightly acidic when it hits the ground. Now, what comes out of your water hose is here in Memphis mm-hmm. it's pretty close to 7. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, that, it's good water. Um, but, you know, <coughs> it is a little bit acidic. But that's, you know, it's not a serious issue. It's not going to really change your ph yeah uh, and not so it wouldn't in your koi ponds do you need to check (coughs) after the rain no the only thing you know with heavy rains you have to be careful of of uh, temperature inversions where you suddenly get you've got a a pond with warm water that's you know 65 70 degrees and you get 40 degree rain falling and if it's falling so fast you get a layer of cold water on top that will suddenly drop to the bottom huh, and when it does the anaerobic bacteria mm-hmm. in the bottom comes to the surface takes the oxygen out and suddenly your biggest fish are turned on their side uh, okay. yeah, so that. it wasn't the acid rain doesn't do that. The temperature It's in the, the temperature water. of the water, right. That's so interesting, isn't yeah. it? So I guess I'll believe you that koi have no eyelids. They don't have eyelids. <laughs> I still can't get over that. The nor koi- pockets, nor anything else. Okay. <laughs> A few scales, maybe. Yeah. No pockets? Here we go. Yeah. Another fly I'll catch, I'll catch that up later. 
Well, so yeah, the tornadoes and the weather and all that. I feel like there's been more wind this year because it seems like <coughs> every time I put the hanging basket, ferns out. Oh, yeah. They're not hanging <coughs> down. They're blowing up sideways. They're drying out so fast. Yes, they are. This is wearing me out trying to keep stuff. But I was talking to a gentleman yesterday at work, and he said, you know, it's always feast or famine, you know. We'll be begging for some of this rain before it's oh, all said yes. and done. We'll be begging for some of this cool weather before it's all said and done. But, you know, in Memphis, that's, I mean, that's, it's the weather. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it's, it's so diverse here. And, you know, the old saying, if you don't like the weather, give it five minutes. You know, it will change. And, and it's so true around here. But there again, with all the rain that we get, uh, especially this year, and it seems like we do it every year, early mm-hmm. spring, if you have areas that don't drain like they should, well, it comes to the forefront pretty quick, you know? Mm -hmm. So a lot of these plants that are just setting in water, and they still look fine today, uh, but that little root system down there is getting compromised. And when it starts to get really hot this summer, uh, you know, you might have some problems. But so, you know, that's why we always, always, always preach, you know, good drainage, I'm telling Mm you. Yeah, and speaking of the fact that you don't see this issue now, you see it later. Same thing happens in houseplants. Okay, when do we have that uh, cold spell that the electricity was out for 10 days, I think? Mm. Then we had all the houseplants, of course, in the building. And so I'm watching the temperature, making sure that, you know, it stays warm enough to keep them happy. But the aglonemias are just... Mm. They don't like it at all, mm-hmm. but you didn't see any damage. And I'm finally seeing the last bit of damage from way back on yeah. that cold spell. Oh, yeah. So things take a minute to react. In fact, so at some point today, I wrote, I jotted down houseplant care. You know, what are we going to do with houseplants this time of year? I moved mine outside now. No, mm-hmm. you just not just yet. Yeah, I did. Day before yesterday, I moved them all outside. And, and you know, <coughs> they you don't ever have to move a houseplant outside. But if you've got houseplants that are struggling for whatever reason, whether you need to repot them, take them out there, mm-hmm. repot them, wash them off really good, clean them up, feed them, um, man, taking them outside, they'll flush right back out. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. We'll go over more of that in a minute. But y'all can give us a call at 260-5926, and we'll be back after these messages. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are up with us this morning. If you fade in and out because either you're falling asleep or you can't uh, get our frequency, you can listen to our podcast. Uh, You can stream us online at kwamradio.com. You can get us that way. Or go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text if you want or give us a call, 260-5926. So here we are this lovely morning, and um, is this just a rain more today? Yes. Yeah. Some today, some and tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow's like tomorrow. Chance, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, <clears throat> we rained all night last night, I think, and the night before last, and well, for the last three months, that's what I'm talking. It's done nothing but rain. All right, Veda. This is our time of year that you know you drive down the street. And you see these little purple hanging blooms sticking mm-hmm. out of the trees. Yeah. And of course, of course <laughs> I the, know wist- where you're going. the wisteria, right? Right. And, you know, I wrote down this morning that there are lots of people out there that have wisteria. Absolutely love them for all the right reasons, right? And there are some people out there that have wisteria and absolutely hate them for all the right reasons. Okay? What I mean by that, wisteria is like... The fastest, it's like kudzu, yeah. okay, on steroids. 
you know, if you if you're smart and you plant a wisteria where you really want it, and you don't mind this thing growing and taking over mm-hmm. a pagoda or whatever, then perfect. But if you plant one and think you're going to keep this little thing manicured, oh, you no. know, then you're in for a rude awakening. But wisterias, we always hear the complaint of why don't they bloom? Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's, it's you know. After reading uh, different things on why wisteria won't bloom, uh, typically, guys, if you have wisteria in too much shade, you know, it'll grow just fine. But then kind of like I was telling you, you can see them kind of reaching out through shrubs Mm -hmm. and through branches. And that's where you see the bloom is out there in the sun. So one is, uh, of course, a lack of light. Two is um, it can be too much nitrogen. You know, a lot of people go out there and they'll feed this, these wisteria, and I don't know why you'd ever feed one that has any nitrogen in it whatsoever because it's going to do just fine growing on its own, okay? But high nitrates can also cause a lot of growth and just no bloom. Uh, so be careful of that. Of course, the lack of sunlight. But what they're saying, if you things that we can do, and Jim and Betty, y'all can back me up on this, to get wisteria to bloom, one is you can always add phosphate. Okay, you know, phosphates encourage a plant to bloom, whether it's superphosphate, triple superphosphate, rock phosphate, any of those products uh, will help. You can do that in the fall. Well, you can do it any time, but if you do it now, you're really doing it for the next year. Okay. Secondly is you can prune wisteria. And, and I think really that's the key to getting wisteria to bloom. <coughs> You're talking about root pruning? Well, not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and they're saying typically you can go in there and actually prune wisteria uh, twice a year. Uh, once in the uh, late winter, say in February, then again in July or August. Um, and, and, and really read about or, or get on YouTube and, and see how to prune it. But I promise you, they say if you prune these things, you are, you're almost definitely going to get bloom, Okay. And then, Jim, you just mentioned root pruning. Um, you know, a lot of people go out there and they'll root prune wisteria. They'll get a shovel, go out about three foot from the trunk of the tree, and just push that shovel in the ground all the way around this wisteria. So you're what you're doing, you're creating a smaller root system. And a lot of times that will trigger uh, these wisteria to bloom. But, you know, that's always been the thing, Jim, and that is having wisteria and not having the bloom. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because you don't ever hear that about a cross vine, a Carolina jasmine, the Madison star jasmine. No. They're all, but the wisteria is ornery, and I know I've never planted a wisteria on a zero lot line because of that issue. I thought you were going where um, all the wisteria is blooming and you know growing out of trees, and people are coming and asking, "What's the tree with the purple bloom?" They have. Yeah, yeah, because I can see how that could be confusing or look like it, the tree is blooming purple. Yeah, and most of the wisterias that we see out there, they're like Asian-type wisterias, whether they're Chinese or, uh, you know, a Japanese. Uh, so wisteria. how do you tell the difference in the two? How would you tell the difference, Jim? Because Chinese, when it goes up a tree, it climbs it clockwise. Japanese climbs counterclockwise. All right, I'm going to write this down, and I'm, I don't know if you're joking with is me that, now. I'm not joking with you. That's serious. Wait, what's, what, where's Chinese, the Chinese? Chinese is clockwise. It will, when it goes up the tree, it will mm-hmm. go clockwise around the tree, whereas Japanese will go counterclockwise Isn't around the bizarre? tree. that bizarre? It's that crazy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but there's, there is one in particular, the Amethyst Falls. Wisteria, a native one. Yes, that is, is an American. It? I thought that was a hybrid. No, it's a native. It's yeah. American uh, wisteria. Uh, it blooms at a much younger age than some of the Asian varieties do. 
uh, and it, it's more prolific with its bloom. But it's uh, not near as aggressive. No, and you're right, and it's not near as aggressive. It only gets about a third of the size of That's these Asian varieties. Awesome. So, yeah, you can keep it in check. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you get earlier bloom, uh, much easier to maintain. Um, so, I'm, and I'm not saying don't get any wisteria that you want to get. I'm just saying a lot of the Asian varieties that go crazy, you do need to prune them. You, they do need more sun than shade. You need to stay away from so much nitrogen if you want to get these things to bloom. But if, overall, if I was going to buy one, I would get, like Jim was just saying, the native, uh, the American wisteria, the Amethyst Falls. Mm-hmm. Beautiful blooms on them also. You know yeah. what always amazed me is I've, I saw a few people that had it uh, pruned as a standard where it had a trunk mm-hmm. and then the top was like a tree. And every time that it just put a lot of new growth after it bloomed, he'd get it back down into order. Mm-hmm. Like that, was that on your page, Jim, the white wisteria? Yes, that was that was a Japanese white there that she showed. Now, there's one white. Uh, there is a native, there's a white variety of the um, the Kentucky or native one. Um, but there's also one called Longissima alba that has a four-foot-long white flower on what? it. Good Lord. And it blooms for a very long period of time because it starts and it progresses back wow. up the flower or back down the flower as it goes. I guess that big, so, huge bee is the pollinator of that. I, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> have to have a big bee to make big blooms, right? <laughs> but they are beautiful when they bloom. I'm telling they you, they are. really are. And if, if you get one and you want to, you know, you know, espalier it against a wall or have it grown up mm-hmm. on a trellis or whatever, just be aware. There are different varieties out there. Uh, but if you ever get to a situation where they're not blooming for you, if they're really happy, a lot of times they just won't bloom. You and know, it, they, don't need, they, don't, they don't have a reason to bloom. It's true with a lot of vines, too, because think about how vines grow. They, they come up from seed up underneath some shrub or tree, and then they have to climb that. They climb up through it, and then they canopy out on top in full sun. So once they get to that point where you've got a lot of leaves in full sun, that's when you'll see them start to mm-hmm. set flowers. And then they'll flower all the way back down the vine. But while they're young, uh, you seldom see them bloom until they get up there and get some leaves and foliage hmm. in yeah, the Yeah, so don't, don't fertilize it with nitrogen to make it grow faster because then you're counteracting the blooms. Yeah, and you really don't need to anyway. Yeah, yeah, so just keep the soil real healthy. To, I'm trying to make it grow a little faster, you know, so I can get bloomer so, blooming, blooming sooner than later. But I love that look of the wisteria growing over the arbors, or you see them like, uh, you always seem to see the pictures from Italy, mm-hmm. where it's just a long, long trellis, or what do you call that, an arbor maybe? Or that's a fence over, row Yeah, or where you're walking under it, and then mm-hmm. they have the wisteria growing on top. And I always wondered why it was just the wisteria, and then I started thinking, it's because the blooms drape. Mm-hmm. And it just vines, vines are fantastic, but you do have to constantly prune them and keep them in check. But that's not so bad if you're, if you're keeping them down low enough to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and then what about, Jim, as far as the phosphate levels? I mean, typically around here, if you ever have a soil analysis run, I've never seen one where the phosphate levels just wasn't already off the chart. Yeah, okay? usually it's... Uh, right at or you know just under perfect <laughs> yeah i mean so so typically you know on something like a wisteria i mean you know we can do all those things that i mentioned but, but giving them that extra phosphate phosphorus stresses them a little mm-hmm. bit um it kind of makes them shudder and think you're, they're going to die mm-hmm. phosphorus toxicity is quite common in things like annuals 
where you know they're putting lots of phosphorus on there or spraying them with super bloom or something mm-hmm. like that to generate lots of flowers right. but you can also get phosphorus toxicity and um so but with wisterias they're extremely tolerant you could yeah. put lots of it on them and the only thing it's going to do is stress them a little bit and make them think they need to reproduce yeah so even if you if you have a soil analysis run and you already see that high phosphate level which you're going to see if you have an analysis run around here in Shelby County, it still doesn't hurt to add a little bit of the phosphate right. to that root zone to there again to encourage this thing to bloom. And yeah. if you're you have a young one and you're trying to cover the arbor or something like that, then you know pump the nitrogen to it, mm-hmm. make it grow, you know, mm-hmm. and then you can worry about blooms second or third year once you get it down to your to to your the, the what's the right word can't not canopy but um, what is the, the word? Yeah, I can't think of it. Anyway, <laughs> the, to support the weight of the thing, because mm. if you, you have a pergola and you're thinking about putting um, wisteria on there, it is heavy, very, very heavy. Yeah. So, you know. You know, we hear the stories about wisteria tearing fences and stuff uh, down. Yeah. It's think a true of, story. Think right. about that before you do it. Okay. So. Well, it's like you're talking about putting the phosphorus on there, which stresses it and makes it think it's dying. It's time to rebloom. That's the same uh, principle with root uh, root, pruning. root pruning. We'll go over root pruning again. After we go to a break, give us a call at 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're here with us this morning. Give us a call at 260-596-5926. Like uh, Rosemary's done, and we're going to go right to Rosemary. Good morning. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hey, Veda, Kenneth, and Jim. Hey, Miss Rosemary. Good morning to you, dear. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Listen, I I got two questions I want to ask, and uh, I'm going to hang up and listen to y'all discuss them. Sounds great. Uh, All righty. Okay. My first question is, I was talking to this guy. He, um, He does gardening and stuff and he was telling me that there is a such thing as sun tolerant hostas and I never knew that. Okay. And he told me that uh where where I planted my hostas in my backyard I want to keep them there and he said that I need to look into going uh getting some more you know adding to it some sun tolerant heat tolerant hostas no. and also he said that I may want to look into getting a shade cloth, building a little shade tent, shade cloth over the ones that I got, you know, so the sun won't burn them up so bad, you know, this year. And my last question, I want to ask Jim, uh, you know, I heard him talking about the bird feeders. I've put bird feeders and a squirrel feeder in my backyard, and I'm really enjoying them. But I read something online the other day that somewhat distressed me. They said, Something about avian flu and, you know, the bird flu is on the rise and mm-hmm. stuff and and uh, that maybe you should take down your bird feeders. And I want to know, is Jim going to take his bird feeders down? Yeah. Oh, these are great questions. These are Jim questions. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. I'm going right. to hang up so I can listen. All right, All right Rosemary. Thank Thanks, Rosemary. 
Okay, as far as avian flu, there have, there have been some out areas where there have been outbreaks, and in those areas, the wildlife resources um, people tell you to take down because it draws in lots of birds, a lot of which are migratory, and it can easily spread that disease by feeding the birds and having a whole bunch of them there. Mm. So, mm. yes, if it's a problem in your area, and then you should. Here, it's not a problem, okay? We don't have or have not heard of any outbreak of an avian flu in our area. Mm-hmm. So I would mine are staying up, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, now the next thing. If you're a member of our Facebook group, go to the files section. And what's the name of it, Jim? Mid-South Gardening, okay? He forgets every week. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't understand that. But anyway, Mid-South Gardening. Uh, <laughs> under the file tab, there's one on hostas. And that hosta list has, I don't know, several hundred hostas on it. But it tells you if they're sun tolerant. It tells you if they're fragrant. tells you if they're slug resistant. Mm-hmm. And gives you a brief description of all of them. So you can very quickly see which ones are sun tolerant. Now, none of them are sun loving. Right. All of them by late summer are going to look a little distressed, even the ones that tolerate the most sun. Mm. So, but there are some, and, and the list is pretty good that you'll be able to plant and they'll look quite good. Now, I have the same problem that you have, okay? I have an area that is is a shade garden, but I had to limb up a golden dawn redwood to be able to plant some things under there that I wanted, mm-hmm. which puts some sun on the hostas. Mm-hmm. So for under 75 bucks, I bought a, a well, actually it was less than that. It was under 50 bucks. I bought a big 10-foot umbrella, patio umbrella. There you go. And just, it, I put it up. I take it down when it's, you know, just... When it's going to rain, just let let the umbrella down. I raise the umbrella, and I, it worked so well, I now have three in the shade garden. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> so you just pull them up, and it protects them from <clears throat> you know the sun. And then you, the only thing is you have to watch if there are some sun-loving plants in there. I have a deciduous azalea that happens to be in the same area. It didn't get enough sun to even bloom this mm-hmm. year. So I've got to move that one. But that's a good, inexpensive way, much less expensive than buying shade cloth. Okay, because yeah. that stuff. Because once you should do that, you got to have something to put it up. Mm-hmm. You got to have poles in the ground. Uh, in umbrellas, are more decorative anyway. They are, and they're so much easier. You know, and you know, if you've got wind, you really you got to take that shade cloth down because it will just rip it apart. So anyway, think about a, a, an umbrella. It, uh, I have three turquoise ones, and it just blends in real well. Now, and and also we all know, and Jerry. Hang on just a minute. But we know if she's got hostas out there and she's getting really too much sun for those hostas, even if they are, let's say they're not the sun-loving type, okay, or not sun-loving but sun-tolerant, I should say. If you don't shade those, Jim, they're going to burn. They're and they're going to burn. burn sooner than later. Yes. You know. And yeah. then they come back in the spring, fine. Look great every yeah. year. Yeah. And that's a common question is why did my hostas burn or my hostas look great? And then for some reason in the summer, they don't look good. And I said, they sound like humans. <laughs> I, I'm dressed when it's. Uh, you think she has a point at that? Yeah, yeah. I'm not Looking sure. At y'all, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. So uh, I suspect out of the three, she's the only one that looks good in, in well, the sun. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to stay out of the sun, Jim. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so hopefully uh, no, that'll help out. No, need to carry out. an umbrella around. 
Well, we'll know where you are then. Yeah, and the, and the umbrellas are a great thing because, boy, can they add some character to your yard. They really yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea. Um, let's go to Jerry from South Haven. Good morning, Jerry. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. I'm glad somebody else is up. Yeah, I hear <laughs> you. Ain't that the truth, <laughs> so hey, <are> Jerry? We. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give a couple of comments about the wisteria. Yeah. My father had one years ago that he planted out in the middle of the yard. Mm-hmm. Put a steel stake beside this when he planted it. Mm-hmm. He trained it into a small tree about you know five foot tall. Yeah. He trimmed it a couple times a year. And I've got a neighbor down here in South. They've got one the same way, mm-hmm. and it's controllable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and I love them when people tree form them like that. They're absolutely beautiful. They truly are. But uh, yeah, as long as you as long as you know what you're doing and you got a good pair of sharp pruners, mm-hmm. uh, you know you can get along with the wisteria pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got out here the other day in my, what's it called, Presentia, that one that blooms yellow in the, the frame. Mm-hmm. Presentia, yes, sir. It done, it done got out of, you know, <laughs> what you say, control. Yeah. Way too big. It's a lot smaller today. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, buddy. Oh, but, I bet uh, that feels well, good. The other question is I've got a bunch of uh, English ivy up under these flower beds. If I spray Roundup on places I can trust, Yes. It won't get nothing. Will it take it back maybe for some more of the roots of it? Yes. Yes. I, I've been facing the same problem. Um, a friend of mine's parents sold their house, and they were going to tear the house down and put up a, a nicer one there. And I went in and got some perennials from him, and there was like a little six-inch piece of an interesting-looking ivy mm-hmm. in one of the perennials. So I just left it. Well, in you know, within a couple of years, had grown all through the beds and grown up the house <laughs> over onto the shingles. I mean, it, this thing was aggressive. So we ripped it off the house, and I have been ever since just spraying Roundup wherever it breaks up, and I, and I see it. So, uh, yes, as long as you don't touch the foliage of a desirable plant, glyphosate will not harm your plants. It's not root absorbable. Yep, you can I'm use it on trying to go up the wall, and I pull, I've pulled it a couple of times. Yeah, and yeah. if you're worried, don't spray it. Just get you a sponge mop and put some in a bucket and just sure. take that and wipe it, and that'll do it. I've got one spot that's for the garden hose that's kept and everything. I can spray it right there. Yeah. But, uh, but, I can't even give it away. <laughs> <laughs> but but to get rid of it, Jerry, like you're saying, I mean, you know, you can cut it back, you can dig it up, or you can selectively spray like Jim's talking about. Uh, with the Roundup, but that's the beauty of the Roundup, though. It only works through foliar absorption. Uh, it doesn't really move through the soil. And the it's one, not, one exception would be tomatoes. Yeah. Don't get near tomatoes because they're green underground. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Thanks for your call this yeah. morning. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, see, so he has the uh, standard wisteria. I, I always hadn't thought it through, but that... I, is a great idea, a metal stake, yeah. so it can grow up. Because you can take the metal stake out eventually, yeah, actually. Yeah, once it gets, that trunk gets stout enough to support the top, you're in good mm-hmm. shape. But, you know, we used to get tree-formed ones that were staked in five-gallon containers, and you know, and if you took the stake over, it just <laughs> laid over on the ground. Right. So until that trunk builds some size on it, you, you're going to need to support it somehow. Yeah. Framework and, was the word I was trying to think <laughs> of earlier. Yeah. yeah to and, build and, a framework. And I'm glad you mentioned tomatoes, though, because tomatoes are kind of like the canary in the coal mine. I mean, when it comes to Roundup, they can whip that stuff out, and I've seen so many, so many backyard, patio, container-grown 
whatever you want to call it, tomatoes that have had Roundup damage on it. Yeah, and the beauty of Roundup is it's the only really post-emerge herbicide that's approved for use in a vegetable garden. Mm. So, I mean, you can go in there right next to your corn and just take it and paint it uh, or, or very carefully spray it and not hurt any of your vegetables. Can't get in the plant, mm-hmm. so, you know. Yeah, it's a, and, and of course, you know, one of these days we won't have that luxury of using Roundup, and we'll see what the next product's going to be. But I have heard of people leaving weeds, and I'm sure it's certain type of weeds, in the pathways for the pollinators and for the holding the soil down. But they're doing it in the pathway and still walking in the pathway, right. but that was their natural mulch. But you, you'd have to be selective on the weeds that you use, which then reminds me, Jim, that I saw also on your Facebook page that, see, you're letting weeds grow. I let some bloom, But yes. you're, you're making sure you prune them before they seed. Right. After they've the, about done their thing, then I'll... I'll uh, Pull them out before the seed has a chance to mature, and you're letting them bloom because you to, to enjoy the, the bloom. Okay, yeah, gotcha. and for early pollinators. Gotcha. You know, uh, I leave violets, and I'll always mm-hmm. leave some violets in the garden. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it's a nice little clump, I'll just leave it there. Um, but you know, I take out ninety percent of them or more. Uh, sour weeds been or wood sorrel's been in bloom right now, so you know, and it's I just started ripping it out. I had that beautiful wild geranium. It it had gotten 24, 30 inches across, mm-hmm. 18 inches high, spectacular foliage. But these little tiny flowers that you mm. can, you know, you got to get, <laughs> you gotta I get got down to get the- really <laughs> close to see them. <laughs> yeah, I've wondered, like, because you see the native weed geranium, and then you see the perennial geraniums, which look exactly the same, but I think on the perennials, the blooms are a little bigger. They are. Well, they're considerably yeah. Really yeah. bigger, yeah. So, um, In fact, that's what I kind of thought this was. Maybe I planted one last year and just didn't remember. Right? <laughs> I know? can't imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> well, give us a call, 260 mm. Also, you can see us on Facebook Live, and you can post questions. We'll be right back. <clears throat> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad you could join us. Post questions on our Facebook page, uh, <laughs> on Facebook Live. Give us a call, 260 And I'm trying to find... The text that I read here a while ago, here we go from Judy Wood. It says, good morning, everyone. Cover crop question. I planted vetch as a cover crop in a raised bed. Now, unsure what to do since I do no-till in vegetable garden. Oh, she means she digs it. She digs she it in. She doesn't. So she's got a no-till. So wouldn't no-till mean you take the shovel and turn it? No. Mm-mm. Normally in no-till, you don't do anything to the soil mm. other than plant in it. Okay. Right, so if you've got a cover crop, whether it's ryegrass, clover, vetch in this case, but you're doing no-till. Then you just let it die. And, and uh, the roots have broken up the soil some. Right. But, you know, you're looking at probably three or four inches max depth with the roots on most cover crops. So okay. um, it's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to do a cover crop if you're not going mm-hmm. to till it in. Right. Okay. Well, because unless you the, could... Uh, go ahead, Faith. I'm sorry. Well, the tilling, in theory, well, not in theory, but the tilling breaks the soil web. The structure That's of the, the soil. That's the whole key right there. But you just do need to till or turn it with a shovel and add more compost and, and keep, you know, all the uh, organic matter in there. So if you're breaking the soil web 
Or some people till back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and that's not bad. Well, you know, I mean, that's not good. Tilling helps separate the soil. Now, it does kind of screw up some of your fungus and stuff that's growing in the ground. But, you know, when you look at test results, you get about 15 to 20 percent better production when you till versus no till. Mm. Okay. So if you're a farmer, then it makes a difference in your labor, Mm. your fuel, if you're not tilling. Um, so many other things come into play that it may be cheaper for them to no-till. You don't get the soil loss that you can get with uh, tilling. Um, but for home gardeners, that's really not something that carries over very well. You could be talking about smaller plots. Right. Sure. Yeah. You know, there, if you, you know, doing a winter cover, whether it's rape or vetch or annual ryegrass or whatever you want to use, yeah. Uh, that really is best tilled in, you right. know, uh, the deeper, the better, because you loosen that soil. And, and you're growing a crop every year. You're doing the same thing every year. So the more you can loosen that soil for that crop, the better off it's going to be. But in, in Judy's case, though, let's say she's got that vetch out there, which she does, and she's not going to deal. Uh, either you have to just wait until that vetch dies back naturally or you can get, get a weed eater and just, just cut, cut it down it to the ground. Yep, and, and, and rake it off. Back. And you can put it over in your pathways, you know, mm-hmm. to walk on. Uh, it will eventually break down and add to your topsoil. Um, but Yeah, because I'm thinking, how would I grow seed in the vetch mm-hmm. yeah, if I, I mean, didn't? You, yeah, mm-hmm. or even plant. Because the vetch and all that's going to take a long, oh, till summer to burn out. Yeah, and, and the other thing is these crops, they're going to sequester carbon in them, and if you're tilling them, you're putting that carbon back into the ground, which is, again, going to escape. So there are pros and cons both ways. Yeah, uh, I would just, you know, if it's me, I just sow your cover crop, till it in the next spring, mm-hmm. and uh, you'll get better production, um, and... That's it. Really? Well, Judy, hope that helped you. because I mean, because I surely don't mind people using a cover crop Mm -hmm. for all the right reasons. Right. Uh, But there again, it's like Jim was just saying, Betty, you were saying that if you're going to use a cover crop, then you're still going to be just better off trying to Mm -hmm. till that in uh, the following spring. I mean, because that's why you're getting all that stuff back down into the soil. Well, and the soil web also, it's called that because it actually looks like a web in the soil because it's... uh, fungus that's um, joining each other and different roots and all that that are growing out together Um, because a lot of times if your soil's not balanced or organic enough you you see the big roots but then you see no webbing off of the big roots and the big roots are the stabilizers of the plant and they grow the little root hairs and all the webbing and all that comes off of of the uh, small roots. So a lot of times people will say, well, the roots are fine, but they only have roots. There's no root hairs, no soil web, anything like that. And so the so tilling breaks all that symbiotic relationship between all the fungus and those other things that are in the soil and that's kind of what people are afraid of with tilling is they're breaking up that soil web but it'll it'll come back especially if you keep putting organic matter in there well if you get right if you have healthy soil and you know that's you know just when it comes to a garden area you know we're always thinking about making sure you have proper ph you know if you need to add lime add lime adding compost back to your soil like you're saying veda every year Mm -hmm. uh, just to keep that soil alive if you will and then, of course, a lot of times, even some fertilizer, whether it's garden tone or, or some other suitable 
uh, garden fertilizer, but it's really those three things. Amend the soil with good compost. Make sure your pH is up where it needs to be, and then feed these plants, and you can till all day long and still get great results. Yeah. In fact, like Jim was saying, most people are mm-hmm. tilling their backyard gardens every right. year. Yeah, hey, and, and when you look at – I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you, what about – wouldn't pH affect microorganisms, certain Does. ones to do? Most definitely. You know, and one of the important things about tilling um, is something I just forgot. <laughs> because I just interrupted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's tough getting old. Let's well, see, we started, well, with you're around me, I'm just going to interrupt every little opportunity but we do, I get. We do deal with a lot of compaction around here, uh, and whether it's your lawn, whether it's your beds, or whether it's your vegetable garden. Or your yeah. brain. Can and I go? remembered. <laughs> finally. Okay. All right. If I think that's Jim's brain this morning. He just remembered oh, that. Yeah. Right. yeah. Most of, Most of our soil around here runs around three percent organic matter okay six is kind of ideal yeah you start getting above eight and that's detrimental okay amazing too much so you know if you put enough organic matter in there this year to bring it up to six percent in a couple of years it's back down to three that's amazing okay so that's the reason you like to i like to till back in Every year or every other year, so that you re uh, you raise that organic matter back up to six or so every time. And so. is there any compost that you particularly like, Jim? Or just to me, all com- I mean, any compost well, is good compost. The free is good, you know. Leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm real fond of that. Uh, but cotton burr is one of, one of my favorites, you yeah. know. And that's not going down to the mill and getting it. That's getting good bag stuff that you know has been grown without any defoliants. Back to nature, cotton burr compost. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or the like blend, that. beta. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, remember when the blend came out, we were just like, and the humor. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Uh, Can I, you get that anymore? No, no I wonder I humor who forever. bought yeah. that or, or what they blended. But there's so many things that are like the humor because that was humus plus more. That's yeah. what it was. But the back to nature is still going strong yeah, because and, and, it's such a great product. And there's two products. I mean, there's there's cotton burr compost, which is called back to nature. And that's just the pure cotton burr that's been broken down. And then there's Back to Nature Blend. That's uh, cotton burr that's been broken down, cow manure, alfalfa meal, and humic mm-hmm. acid all added together. It's just a richer blend, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, in some areas you may find that you've got also one that acidifies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make some other products that are they're just not carried to Memphis area because we don't need them. Yeah. Okay, but there are some other ones that are more site-specific in other areas. But back to nature products are really good products. And then there's different, so many different types of manure. Uh, typically around here, you'll see the uh, cow manure and the chicken manure. Uh, and then earthworm castings mm-hmm. uh, and then mushroom compost. Any of those products yeah, are I saw wonderful. Out of the Fayette Cares, they're doing uh, bunny boo, <laughs> bunny poo or something. It's rabbit <laughs> No, pies. I did not know. Yeah, at their plant sale next bunny weekend. Bunny poo. Well, hey, good compost. <laughs> what yeah, about the, is. remember the zoo that did the zoo do? Zoo do, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I wonder why they quit doing the zoo do. You know, I, I just, my gut feeling is the, the volume outweighs the demand. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy way to put it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a lot of volume. Well, uh, that's great. So, the, anyway, so just remember those three things mm-hmm. make sure that pH is up, add that compost every year, and then some nutrient value, you know, some type of fertilizer. Um, yeah, and uh, we're going to head out to a break and we'll see you in a few. 
Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us for a second hour. And if you're just tuning in, thank you for being here. Y'all can listen on podcast uh, if you miss any of it. Uh, Facebook Live, mm-hmm. our Facebook page also. We have uh, Memphis <laughs> Mid-South Gardening. Uh-huh, the Mighty 990. Or I cannot remember the easy name of the Facebook page. Mighty 990, uh, Mid-South Gardening. And then, of course, KWAMRadio.com. And then no, if you it's w- not Mighty 990, <laughs> Mid-South Gardening. Yeah. Mm, it's just Mid-South Gardening. Well, oh, wait, for the, the Facebook page? Yeah. No, that's the one for live. <laughs> you? That's the one for live is the uh, Mighty 990. Yes. The Jim's is Mid-South Gardening. Uh, oh, gotcha. We were talking about his again, huh? Yeah, just jumped right over there. And let's see. But if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926. That's just the way you can just shoot us. Um, I mean, talk to us over the phone. Right. Yeah, over the phone. And if you don't want to talk on air, you can just leave a message with our producer and he'll put it on the board and we'll answer it for you. Um, you know, houseplants are becoming such collector items as well. And I have so many young kids coming in and I go, well, is this your first houseplant or no, I have uh, 200 oh, houseplants yeah. and people have 60 houseplants and they send me their pictures and I said, you know what's happening is we're landscaping indoors is what we're doing but everyone's looking for the different like <clears throat> the Hoyas are becoming really popular the wax plant they have all kinds of different foliages you know some looks like a rope some looks like a heart and they're really hardy to grow but the thing is you never would think they bloom but they bloom so y'all should look for Hoya. They make beautiful hanging baskets as well. And then the Monstera. You know, everybody yeah. and their mother wants a Monstera. Monstera. And then the fiddle leaf fig. You got to mm-hmm. have one of those. Oh, there's a new fig. It's not a fiddle leaf fig. Well, it's in the fig family. It's called Audrey. But its leaves actually, to me, looks like one of those swamp <clears throat> magnolias. No, that, that leaf's too big. Uh, but it's... Um, like a sweet bee? Yes, Sweet Bay Magnolia. The leaves Mm -hmm. look kind of like that, except they're upright. And that's going to be interesting to see because it's just a whole different Mm -hmm. texture, a different color. So that would go good indoors. So if you're looking for, how many times have I said so in that sentence? Oh, that makes me crazy when people do that. Now I'm doing that. So if you're looking for. (laughs) So what do you think is the biggest. So what do you think? The biggest uh, (laughs) mistake on houseplants. Over water. I agree. What do you think? I think too little light. Well, that's a good one, too. That, that's a good one. Not insufficient sunlight. Insufficient light. light. Yeah. Because, I mean, houseplants, and like everything else, you know, it wants to grow. It wants mm-hmm. to survive. And like Jim always says, you know, regardless of what we do, it still wants to mm-hmm. live, right? But I agree. I mean, but if you find a good spot for a houseplant, uh and, and light is the biggest thing, like Jim mm-hmm. was saying. I mean, a lot of times a house plant will grow where we put it regardless. Right. It just isn't as beautiful. Never be as prolific as it could be. Yeah. And then a lot of times, uh, as far as the death of a house plant, uh, a lot of people get that watering can out and think they got to go out there every day or in there every day and water these plants. You need well-drained soil. You need sufficient light. And I promise you, you know, most house plants, in fact, I don't really know of any that you have to water unless they're in small pots, mm-hmm. more than once a week. Right, right. You know, I mean, and we're yeah. constantly overwatering these houseplants. Um, but you were talking about earlier taking some outside. Mm-hmm. Was it you, Jim? Yeah, you yeah. Took I, yours? I moved all out. Of course, most of mine are, are succulents, um, you know, and I'm not. They're, they're up underneath 
they're on the deck but underneath a cover so that they're not rained on. Otherwise, they would get too wet and they'd all rot. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the temperature doesn't bother me now. So, but and they get a little bit of very late afternoon direct sun. Um, but you know, when you think about house plants, m- most of the smaller plants, the tr- the things that have wide leaves have evolved underneath the canopy of other trees that's why they got big leaves right they don't they're not used to full sun but they do need bright or dappled light and that's the main thing i see people will put them in an area you know Mm -hmm. if it's more than three or four feet away from the the window it ain't getting much benefit Mm -hmm. from it you know so now there's some like um mother-in-law's tongue uh Zizi plants. Zizi plants, mm-hmm. like it's things like that, that, you know, you can put over in a dark corner and it will be six months or more before you know you mm-hmm. killed them. Um, right. But <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you can go about that long without watering those, right. you know, depending on your soil mixture. Bromeliads will last a long they time sure in the do. darkest spot. You know, they'll be dead for six months and you won't even know it. Right. This um, is true. <laughs> so because it doesn't true. look dead. It just looks right. like... It looks like it becomes preserved, right. actually. So, you know, but most houseplants will appreciate, you know, if you can keep them by the window, turn them at least every once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, when you're having folks over for that get together, then you move them back over into the dark corner and everybody goes, wow, you've done really well with your plants. Yeah. You know, but uh, just give them as much bright light as you possibly can. Right. Cause now, you know, outside, excuse me, mm-hmm. one more thing. Outside, I have things that are in the like three and four inch pots that do have to sometimes be watered every day that's what i said yeah about yeah. depending on the size of the pot especially right. if it's outside right. we have to do a little more watering outside house plants mm-hmm. than we do when they're inside right. typically speaking well the it's like for instance a pothos ivy it can take low light conditions but its leaves are going to be much smaller you can move the pothos ivy to a window and this one had bigger leaves on one side and the smaller leaves stayed on the shadier side. Or and if, if you, you give go it something to climb, you'll get big, big inch leaves. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But like in Florida, where they don't die out in the winter and they can climb. Yes, you can get huge leaves. It's just incredible. I had no idea a pothos could have that big of leaf because we did, like Jim said, if you give them something to climb on, we had one in stock that was seven feet tall. And the leaves were the biggest I've ever seen until I went to Florida and went, oh, wow. Yeah. What did that shows temperature and light make a difference. And the fact it's a vine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it wants to climb something. And, you know, and the thing with our houseplants at home, Gina really never takes hours outdoors, even though I know you can. But you still want to be a little careful if you do take them outdoors. Like you're talking about, Jim, you've got your succulents in a place where they're not getting too much sun. Right. But they're not off, but they're getting enough. But you take a, a house plant that's been indoors, and it's been in a fairly low-light environment. And the next thing you know, you put this thing out there on the western side of the house where it gets full sun, it's going to burn. Right. You know? Um, so filtered sun, high shade, kind of the same conditions it was when it was in the house. Right. Um, and then if the plants are stressed, then putting them outside it will make them recover much, much quicker. I mean, if a plant gets stressed and doesn't look so good, it's really hard to get it to flush out as much as it could indoors. So outdoors is a great place to put them to regrow them. I had a ficus tree that uh, had a little cane on it, kind of leaned a little bit, and it just stayed there all winter just hanging out. 
took it outside when the weather got good enough, didn't pay attention. And then I looked over in the garden center and I thought, why did somebody put that beautiful ficus over here? It was the same one that you had been eyeballing. And it just did nothing but let it get the natural light, the water that was uh, coming down. I added some more castings, you know, to the soil to give it. Eventually, when the plant started doing something, it would have some nutrients. But just throw them outside and, and they work great. So I wrote down, you know, this time of year, house plants. Clean the house plants, either whether you're washing them down with water or whether you get a damp rag and wipe the leaves. You just want to make sure you don't have a lot of dust build up on there. You mm-hmm. want to make sure you don't have any insects on there. Um, so clean them up really good. Repot them if you need to. And if you're going to repot your house plants, spend an extra 50 cents and get a, get a good high-quality potting soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that root system in that house plant is not going anywhere. It's in the pot that you put it in, and it's in the soil that you put it in, Okay. And the soil makes a huge difference. It really does. I have a, a lot of people that come back. They weren't having success with their house plants, but they were going to transplant them. They used the earth mix for uh, indoor gardening. And they come back and just impressed how they see new growth. And, and I'm thinking, did you water it more? Did you put it in light? And no, that they just used any- a, a new potting median yeah. is what they did. Because a lot of times the potting media that plants come in, needs a lot more amending before, you know, they can't just live in that sterile soil. And can't, then we can go ahead and start feeding our houseplants now, because typically we don't feed our houseplants, per se, during the winter months. Uh, but now, you know, by the, we're getting longer days, more sunshine, they're really starting to grow again. We can start feeding these houseplants now also. Whether you ever take them outside or not, you can go ahead and start feeding these houseplants. That's what I'm going to spend the next few days between rainstorms doing mm-hmm. is uh, repotting a lot of my succulents. Right. Now, I have not found a good succulent mix that I like. Okay. Yeah. It's just They just don't drink fast enough Yeah, for and me. there are cactus soils on the market, but right. you're saying, Jim, you amend even that. Right. I take uh, the uh, Fafford mix, which I like. And use it in about 40 to 50% that yeah. and the rest in um, the soil perfector. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like gravel almost. And so it yeah. drains extremely fast. But you get, I get real good root development. I grow up, I've got uh, 10 or 15 varieties of um, night blooming cereus. And uh, they just, they just, ex- the root system explodes in there. So real pleased with it because actually you know night blooming series can grow on rock they don't they don't even need soil <laughs> all right we'll go over more house plants and much more topics if y'all have a topic to discuss give us a call 260-5926 last week good morning and welcome back to mid-south gardening glad to be with you glad for y'all to join us And if you have any topics that y'all would like to talk about, please give us a call at 260-5926. Okay. And I had a couple of texters here on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. Uh, Wendy Johnson was the first one. She says, can I use Roundup on our moss backyard pass to kill the weeds and not hurt the moss? Now, that first of all, that sounds pretty cool, the moss backyard Mm -hmm. paths, you know. But invariably, you're going to get some weed uh, in the moss. Uh, I don't really know of any weed killer, Jim, that you can spray in moss and potentially not hurt the moss yeah i have read articles where of people who have large patches of moss and are using roundup uh on it without damage to the moss now from my own experience i have discolored the moss Mm -hmm. uh, but it had it did return um it the the theory is that because it doesn't have a vascular system if you're just lightly applying it 
it hits the top of the plant but can't be transmitted there because it has no way down, to move it move it down through the plant so uh scientifically i would say yeah it should work but i would always experiment first yeah. with anything if you're going to use it other than the way that the label calls you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> because it can you know things like um uh the the grass cafusolate yeah okay great thing you can spray it over most junipers but i have seen it discolor the really blue ones right mm-hmm. you know so it's always you know be your own scientist test blues a are bit. picky there's always these yeah. little caveats of yeah so what wendy about, um oh go ahead i'm gonna say so wendy i mean either you hand pull or you selectively spot mm-hmm. each little weed if you can uh, with a product like Roundup or Decimate or Burnout or any of these non-selective mm-hmm. weed killers. Um, and like Jim said, scientifically it should be fine, but realistically, do a little test before you yeah, do it. Yeah, and you know, you might even take a very small area and experiment with a pre-emerge. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I, I know how it works and kills uh, grassy weeds and, and, and broadleaf weeds. Uh, but I'm not sure if it affects spores that way if, you know, on your right your uh, moss to see if it would do the same thing. So I, I would take a little area and just mm-hmm. try it and see if you get any weeds coming up in it at all. Okay, and going farther away from practicality, but what if uh, you laid some plastic over it for a few to let the, kill the weeds that way. I wonder how much it damages. I damage. would think you would damage it because, yeah. particularly if it, it gets hot underneath mm-hmm. there. Yeah, so that's not going to work. Yeah. I was looking for a really easy way. There's no easy way in moss. Yeah, there's no way in moss. And another texter, uh, Randy Turner, texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and he said, uh, In July uh, of last year, I purchased a black eyed Susan vine at his local nursery. The plant performed wonderfully. Uh, where can you find this vine earlier in the season, t- talking now or early summer? Because he'd love to get it um, in the ground merch earlier this year. Black-eyed Susan vine. That is a pretty little annual vine. Little? Well, it's a pretty... Little bloom. Right. Smaller yeah. blooming. <laughs> it's a beautiful vine. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a black-eyed yeah. Susan uh, that we plant in the ground as a perennial. Um we had some black-eyed Susan vines. In fact, we might even have some now. I know we had some the other day. But uh, your local garden centers, Veda, y'all typically get them in at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. But local garden centers, Randy, uh, where you probably can find your uh, black-eyed Susan vine sooner than later. And I agree with you. It is a wonderful vine. Um, the only unfortunate thing here in Memphis is considered an annual vine. you got to plant yeah. it every year. But, yeah, uh, check with Dan West, check with Palladios, check the other um, independent garden centers, and you should be able to find some even now. There's so. a beautiful yellow one also. That, mm-hmm. you know, the orange is the traditional one, but there's a, a real pretty yellow one. And and also there's a tropical blue one. Uh, that one I haven't seen, mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim. Oh, Yeah, you have. You've actually carried it. <laughs> well, uh, but it, you said the blue one, though. Yeah, this is we got them in five-gallon plants from, uh, from the – K and M, what was the, Could have been. the oh yeah, there is a K and M. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we got them from them, and it's uh, called a sky vine, I think, is the common name. But it's a, it is a thunbergia, just like the um, the other ones. And see, I'm thinking of yellow uh, with the brown center. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm thinking of what Randy was talking about. So oh, I'm liking the blue. Yeah, it's pretty, but it is very tropical. And uh, oh, I, I meant to ask last time too about the Roundup. 
Can't you spray it, spray it over English ivy and Asian jasmine? Nope. Because they're waxy it foliage. Yeah, it's not labeled. In fact, I wrote down uh, in my notes, uh, killing broadleaf weeds in monkey grass and other ground covers, and also killing grassy weeds like Bermuda in uh, monkey grass and ground covers, and starting with broadleaf weeds. I mean, broadleaf weeds, they're not only in our lawns. I mean, they get in our beds, and they also get in our ground covers. And a lot of people have these expensive, pretty large patches of, say, monkey grass, okay? And it's nothing worse than going out there trying to hand weed weeds out of monkey grass. Um, so if you've got, uh, in particular, broadleaf weeds and even some grassy weeds. And even um, some nutsedge. Yeah, and even some nut grass. You know where I'm going with this, Jim. In your monkey grass, uh, you can get a product like Image. Uh, and the reason that I wrote this down, I was talking to a lady yesterday. She had that problem, y'all. She had broadleaf weeds growing in her monkey grass. So I told her about the image and all the stipulations and everything. And I said, now, let me ask you this. I said, is this a large area of monkey grass or is there anything else in this monkey grass? She said, well, there's nothing else in it. There's no dogwood trees planted in it. But I've got these beautiful boxwoods right behind this monkey grass. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you use a product like this, you cannot get this product on your boxwoods, Mm -hmm. you know, just because you can spray it in monkey grass doesn't mean you can get it on anything you want out there around the monkey grass. And she said, you know what? These boxwoods have been there for probably 30 years. They're absolutely beautiful, gorgeous boxwoods. She said, I think I'm going to go out there and hand, I know. and hand weed the weeds out of my bed. And I said, I don't blame mm-hmm. you because a lot of these products that we use in these ground covers, Jim and Betty, y'all know this. You got to keep them in the ground cover, you know, and don't let them get away from you. And if you're, let's say, if you're spraying your monkey grass with image to kill weeds, you got to make sure that you have your back end towards the bed that you do not want this mm-hmm. spray getting into. Uh, we see so many times people are trying to do the right thing and then they wind up hurting other plants. So image is a really good product to use, not only in your lawn, you know, to kill weeds, but you can use it in certain ground covers, including monkey grass. Now, Veda. And, Jim, what about if you had Bermuda growing in your monkey grass? That you use, like, over the top? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Over the top. Thank goodness for something like that. So there's another product that you can use, a different product to kill grasses, including Bermuda. I don't think zoysia is on the label. It might kill zoysia, but I don't think it's on the label. Well, yeah, it mm. normally zoysia will metabolize it and come out yeah. of it. In fact, on the um, Fusilade commercial label, it has a... Uh, a rate for removing buta, Bermuda grass in zoysia lawn. There you go. Right. Well, there but you go. I have <laughs> used it and done repeated applications. And, and it does kind and, of, And yeah. stressed it out, but it's it's a season-long kind of thing. But yeah. but the beauty of it is, I mean, and everybody knows, it's, it's hard enough getting weeds out of monkey grass and ground covers to different types. It's extremely hard getting mm-hmm. Bermuda grass uh, out of some of these well, ground covers. It's like uh, ground covers... If they're thick enough, then you have a lot less weed issue. But no matter how thick they are, the Bermuda is going to come up in there. So, And then also the weeds will come up through the thickness of the ground covers, but they're easier to pull out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the Bermuda, forget about it. And also, I say, though, Veda, once you get your beds clean, whether it's monkey grass or whatever, uh, of weeds, whether you're spraying some of these products we're talking about, or whether you're hand weeding. But once the bed is clean, uh, then you come back ideally and put a pre-emergent in the bed. 
and the pre-emergent is just going to control the weed seed. It's not going to kill anything already up and growing. It's not going to control any weeds that are already up and growing, but it will keep seed from re-germinating in those beds for up to uh, three months. Yeah, it's definitely worth doing that. Speaking of Asian jasmine, which I was wondering early if Roundup, even though it's not labeled, <laughs> then I can't say. But I was wondering, you know, if it Roundup would. could. But, you know, I, it's got the waxy foliage. I know, so but it, it would still get enough in there to. That's what the surfactant's for is to help mm-hmm. get through that. That's, so. that's the surfactants in the Roundup. Yeah. 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 yeah sure. um, but the, there's some newer Asian jasmine out there. Well, one's not so new. It's a snow on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Is that the name of yeah, it? Yeah, it's the variegated. Yeah, and now there's a sunset. Snow in summer. Thank you, snow in summer, because snow in the mountains, that other. That's the lamium or something? Yeah, or the. Yeah, there's a euphorbia named that. Yeah. There's also uh, an agapodium that's named. Yeah, that's it, the agapodium. That's what I was thinking. Um, But there's some that now there's the sunset, which has nice-looking color. A lot of people wanted the Asian jasmine because they would see some fall color on it. But it really doesn't get that great color as these other Asian jasmines, like the snow. (laughs) I wanted to call it snow on the mountain again. That's what y'all are going to remember since I said that first. What was it? It's the one that had the snow word in it. Right, that one, Jim. Yeah, snow and summer. We'll snow be. and summer. Right. We're going to talk a little more about image, too, when we come back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You need to give us a call, 260-5926. When, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about image, and this is true for just about any anything that you're buying. Okay, First know what you're trying to kill okay make Mm. sure you get the right product because like in the case of image they make a number of products that have a big name on them that says image you're right but one says image weed killer one says image kills nutgrass and these are totally different products and if you get the wrong one you get the wrong results (laughs) real quick (laughs) so make sure that you know exactly what you're which one you need and, and does what you want it to do. The second thing is one of the most important things I always look at on a label is what I can't use it on. Right. Uh, what I can, because mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to identify everything that you can put it on. Yeah. But they'll tell you the things that you can't. In fact, I have a, on my little trusty tablet here, I have an image label you know, that I keep on here so that I can read it. <laughs> so, you know, you can spray it over the top of some ornamentals, okay? You can spray it <laughs> over the top of Indian Hawthorn, Dwarf Upon Holly, Fitzer Junipers, uh, Blue Pacific, a lot of the ground cover type junipers, it's safe to spray over the top. However, if you do that to azaleas, privet, mm-hmm. viburnums, pieris, abelias, or roses, they're going to be very unhappy. Okay? Yeah, to the point where you won't have them anymore. That's right. So, you know, it's real important to read what you can't use it around. Now, there are other things that uh, on, on here, too, that you can use it around them but not over the top. Mm-hmm. So, you know, check the label. Yeah, I agree. Especially real when careful when it comes to weed killing guys and when i did have some more people text and had judy wood and i had pat uh judy texted and she said recommendations for perennial salvia for this area uh she planted some salvia gregia uh, for hummingbirds last year uh, but it doesn't seem to be coming back this spring 
Um, what are your thoughts, Vader or Jim? I mean, I my, love perennial salvia, first of all. Yeah, mine has not, you know, I pruned mine back hard in February or so or more early March, and it's not sprouting yet. So, but it's going to, mm-hmm. you know, it's just one of the later things. All right. So, Judy, so, so if she had that planted last year, she's probably going to get it to come back, even I, though she I didn't would, see it just yet. I would think so. Yeah, because some winters that are light, I still see a little bit of foliage on the salvia. So, uh, yeah, there's then, hope for that. You know, there's the, what, the Furman's Red, Gregi, that's yeah. a beautiful oh. salvia. And then mm. there's there's so many other perennial salvias. There's Hot Lips. Radio there's, Red is my ooh, favorite yeah. red. Yeah. That sounds pretty. Is that like the Radio Flyer Red? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, red is what we always put out there to attract the hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know. Had my first one, yeah, a Friday. I'm, I'm Barlett. hearing that this week. So I'm yeah. real thrilled to see my first hummingbird. Well, get those feeders out there then, it's, right? Oh, it's been out for six weeks. So, so uh, Judy, we're saying that, yes, that perennial salvia, I mean, it could be dead. But yours hadn't come back yet, mm-hmm. Jim. You hadn't seen anything coming out of the ground yet. Yeah. So uh, as soon as the soil temperatures warm up a little bit more, we should start seeing some of these, even these woody-type perennials, uh, like the salvia gregias coming out of the ground. So you could have that thing be a coming back. But all of them, I mean, I don't really have a preference because all these perennial salvias seem like they do a really good job, whether it's the blues, the pinks, uh, the, the reds or whatever, and even the different varieties. That's one perennial that's really darn mm-hmm. easy to grow. Yeah, so you can mix that with coneflower, um, Shasta daisies. If you, those are kind of the same growing conditions as the salvia. Yeah, the black-eyed and, Susans, yeah, the Becchias. Yeah, the black you know. So, you know, that's a really good combination to mix all together because their requirements for water is similar. Because yeah. if you plant something that needs a lot of water and something that doesn't, and you're watering them at the same uh, level, then that's why some plants don't survive well with others and that's one of the things is combination plantings by the amount of water mm-hmm. they need not just the sun yeah but the water also right and that you know we were always the first questions were you know how much sun how much shade uh how so how is your soil and, and, they always, and you to, always get those funny looks. Like, yeah. Huh? What? Just, what? what? <laughs> and so then we try to prep the soil to grow a certain plant, like a dogwood. And we're, plant, we're prepping the soil a lot where if you're just because you want certain plants to grow. But if you group your plants together, like all your sedums and your aloe veras and, and things like that, then they require the same amount of moisture. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's one thing to start looking for. I know it's a little more detailed and sometimes it changes your design because you're wanting that really that plant that gets really dry to be planted with the one that needs more moisture. So it kind of messes up your design, but it um, decreases your failure. Yeah, it reminds me of the wonderful irrigation systems that we always see plants dying up under, Mm -hmm. right? Best thing that ever happened to the nursery business. Because we get to replace what the irrigation Uh kills. I mean, I love the idea of having irrigation, don't get me wrong, Uh, especially if you're out of town in the summer and you got something out there Mm -hmm. watering your plants. But, you know, a lot of plants that don't need, in other words, a lot of times you'll have zones, okay? You'll have the same zone on your plants that you have on your lawn. And your lawn probably needs a lot more water than your plants do up there, especially your established plants. or some plants that don't like wet feet, auto-looking laurels, dogwoods, you know, those kind of things. And we do see a lot of dead plants under irrigation. And then the same thing, Jim, they walk away, think irrigation is taking care of everything, 
and there are some planets the irrigation never hits. Yeah, so, or you know they've got an established planting there. They've got the the timer set up to run X amount of minutes, and they put a new plant in there <laughs> yes. that because of the root ball is compacted, it's getting about ten percent of the mm-hmm. water that your established ones are. So you know, and it dies, and of course that's the nurseryman's fault. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but <laughs> this plant, I swear it is. Yeah. Well, and also if the irrigation heads pop up. And they, they do this umbrella spray out. And so you're thinking. It's In your Monarda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bee bomb. I'm getting all the powdery mildew and all that. The garden flogs. But sometimes you're wondering why a plant died even though it was under the irrigation. And that's because there was a taller shrub beside it. So when that irrigation is going in circles, when it hits that shrub, it blocks the water for a pretty good uh, oh, yeah. amount. And so there's no water getting on the other side of the shrub. And the reason we're bringing this up is a lot of people do have irrigation. Now, like I said, for all the right reasons, for sure. Uh, but when they start getting these irrigation systems cut on and we start getting some of these warmer, longer, hotter days, then take just, you know, one day and walk your landscape and, and, mm-hmm. and cut the zones on and see how long they're running. See if they're hitting everything like they should. Make sure they're not running too much where you're getting excessive moisture out there uh, where you don't need it. And, so, And that's always been a problem I've seen, too, is people will... Turn, it, they'll have this, uh, a zone come on, and they see water running down their driveway. Yeah. And so they think, oh, it's running too long. You right. know, Well, it has to do with our clay and how quickly it percolates through it. So they cut that down. When they do that, you, you water less, you get the water doesn't penetrate very mm-hmm. deep into your soil. So your roots come up into that and get more shallow. So then it dries quicker. And then, you mm-hmm. you know, you've got to turn the water back up again. Mm-hmm. And right, so. right. And that was the point I was going to make with plants and containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the people that do the watering don't understand. They'll say, no, it's going to rain tonight. But, you know, looking at the forecast, it's not going to rain all day. It's just going to have some heavy rain mm-hmm. move through. Right. But that's not enough still to get that entire container full of water. Or if you're letting your plants dry out so far before it rains, it rolls off mm-hmm. or it doesn't absorb. So the um, one time we had gotten pretty dry with all the containers and I had them water before a rain and it was going to be a good rain. But I wanted it to be mm-hmm. moist already to go ahead and absorb the water, the rainwater. But isn't it amazing, though, just how watering plants watering a landscape can be pretty daunting if you think about it (laughs) It i mean it can be there you know where i really like uh, irrigation systems are um when if you're going out of town for a week right you know yeah turn it on let it do its thing you know Uh, but most of the time you in any given zone, you're going to have a plant that is not going to like the the amount. Oh, one sure. Way or I mean, it's other. going to happen. It is yeah. going to happen. I mean, hydrangeas, for example, we we know hydrangeas love moisture in the summertime, but a lot of times you'll get this overhead irrigation and you're getting water on these leaves constantly. Well, the next thing you know, you've got bacterial spots, fungal spots, everything all over the foliage of these hydrangeas and other shrubs also. You know, so. You know, I guess a a good irrigation system is a combination of spray, uh, but also a combination of of low spray to where it's not getting on the foliage of your nursery plants back there. Uh, And then, of course, timing is everything. You know, how much you water your plants. Uh, You can have the best irrigation system in the world. If you're underwatering, it's not doing you any good. If you're overwatering, it's not doing you any good. Yeah, so you could call it zone planting because— 
certain sometimes people's got it set up really good to where this zone is 20 minutes this zone can be 30 minutes and it takes a lot of work on that at times but it really pays off and that zone's going to change significantly during you know the year that we had uh, hydrangeas killed to the ground yeah okay Mm -hmm. well they're not going to need much water until midsummer when now they have all of this huge tender growth and they're going to be sucking the moisture out of the ground yeah so, you know, you've got to watch through the season how much water you're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to just freak people out about Yeah, we are. It, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it sounds yeah, pretty are. freaky no, right now. But, but, yeah. it, it, but water is a big deal. And I'm telling you, and I just, I just know that a lot of people have this sense of or a false sense of security because they have an irrigation system. And we're not knocking irrigation systems. We're just saying take the time or have someone, a professional, mm-hmm. come out there walk the grounds and make sure these systems are working like they should. Right. And, you know, one of the things, like we said, that we sound depressing and all of that uh, negative news, but we're always problem solvers. So that's what we're getting. But I have to say, it's pretty amazing how our landscapes do survive in in the type of... Despite of us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So uh, despite of us, we're going to take a break, 260-5926, or post on our Facebook Live uh, your questions, and we'll join you in a few minutes. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. One thing I did want to say is this is kind of funny. Well, to me anyway. Why do we say wet feet? Why do we say wet roots? <sighs> We've always said wet. I know. And I was thinking, why do we call, I mean. Well, because we can relate. I mean, you know, to us. We I, hate well, wet I don't feet. To, right. And the plant. And they don't want water ankle deep. Nope. Have you ever seen a plant with an ankle? Mm. Have you ever seen a plant with feet? Nope. I mean, the feet, we know, but Jim, what what do you think? You're giving me that I've look. Seen pots like, feet. I'm crazy, that we or you got a good. Uh, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> we do sell pot feet. <laughs> you don't want those pot feet wet. No, you like, don't. What is an occasional table when it's not? Yeah. That's true. An occasional table. I Things guess that it make was, you go, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Why we all drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good one. <laughs> these, are, these are things I've always wondered. I know. know. Why are we? Now I know why we're so confused. used to, hot dogs had 10 in them, but you only had eight buns. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. a good one, too. Yeah. Why? Things that make you go. For the kid that uh-huh. doesn't want the bun on the hot dog. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, we had Miss Pat uh, Barham. She texted me and she said, is it too late to plant fescue? Uh, and for everybody out there that knows, fescue is a grass that typically will grow in shaded environments where you just don't get enough sun to support Bermuda or zoysia. Uh, typically speaking, and Pat knows this probably, you know, the best time to sow fescue is going to be in the fall. That's just the best time to do it. The next best time is now, early spring. Uh, so to answer her question, is it too late to plant fescue? Absolutely not. But I would say, Pat, if you're going to do it, you definitely want to do it as soon as you possibly can. Reason being, and if you sow it this weekend, it's going to come up no problem. If you sow it two weeks from now, it's going to come up no problem. But you want to try to create a decent root system on this fescue before it gets hot this summer. That's why the sooner you get it in the ground, the better root system you get, the better off you're going to be. So, no, Pat, it's definitely not too late to sow fescue. Uh, But just do it as soon as you possibly can, sooner than later. And always remember that ideally... Uh, the best time to do it, of course, is going to be sometimes in the fall. 
so so much for the fescue thing. <clears throat> no, but yeah. you still got to throw some seed out oh, yeah. to have it fill in, hopefully. But it's see, that's <clears throat> the thing. We're going to be spring, and it's perfect weather for it to germinate. Oh, but sure. that gummit, we get hot so, so quick. quick. Yeah, yeah, I know, and, and it's, that's what's confusing. Yeah, well, if I were spotting just you know places that I missed. I'd, I'd go ahead or and do oversee it. some areas. Yeah, but I mean, if you've got a large area that you're wanting fescue, mm-hmm. I'd probably just plant it a couple of times with annual ryegrass yeah. until mm-hmm. fall. It'll mm-hmm. help break up the soil. It's a whole lot cheaper. Yeah, uh, and uh, it'll die out and not be a weed if you you know lose the tree and need to become Bermuda. Yeah, and then and some people <laughs> exactly, <Jeff. laughs> and some people, uh, you know, of course, there again, fall being the best time, they'll sow uh, some fescue in the fall. But they'll come back this time of year and just kind of overseed what they did mm-hmm. in the fall just to keep it full and perpetuated. Um, and I agree with what Jim said, but it's not too late to plant it this no. time of year. And I, but I do agree, if I had a large, large area and it was bare ground, I would much prefer to do that in the fall. Right. <clears throat> you know, there are, it's funny how things are labeled because there's dianthus that are, we say they're annuals. You know, the annual dianthus, but they come back here every year. Mm -hmm. Or how about that secretia, that purple low ground cover? When it looks ugly, you just slice it back to the ground, but then it comes back, and we sell that as an annual too. So there's (laughs) even um, annuals that come back here because of our up and down weather. Or or like on your Facebook page, the million bells, how Mm -hmm. people were talking about how they come back or how they hang on all winter with the blooms they're exactly right i've seen that too over and over and i'm thinking <clears throat> how can this calabricoa the million bells make it through this type of weather oh, yeah. and it's and a it's, tough little plant i love in, that plant. yeah even in a container <laughs> i've seen it happen well i had another texter sonia um, she texted in she said my son recently purchased a home and the lawn unfortunately is more weeds than grass uh, what do you guys recommend to eventually have more grass than weeds uh, thanks, Sonia, for the text. And, and a lot of times that happens. You know, people move into a home, and you don't know if the yard's been taken care of, which a lot of times it hasn't. A lot of times the home has been vacant mm-hmm. for a while, so you still have a lot of weeds. Typically speaking, you know, if you have a base to work from, if you've got some Bermuda out there or some zoysia, you know, you definitely want the first thing to do is get rid of the weeds. Uh, and mostly what we're seeing this time of year, for the most part, are little broadleaf weeds, weeds that have a little leaf on them. You know, it doesn't look like a blade of grass, in other words. Uh, there are some really good broadleaf weed killers. Uh, we sell uh, a lot of the weed-free zone, the Fertilone product, even though I know Bonite has a weed beater mm-hmm. ultra. Which we is do awesome. the Fertilone. Also, <clears throat> but yeah. weed-free zone is a really good broadleaf weed killer to spray the lawn with, Sonia. Get out there on a day it's not going to rain for 24 hours and spray the lawn. Uh, Typically speaking, come back in about two weeks and reapply it. And you will flat out kill most of these broadleaf weeds that are growing, if not all of them, that are growing in your lawn. Now, at some point, you know, after you kill the weeds or even before you kill the weeds, if your base lawn, the Bermuda or Zoysia, is starting to green up, which it should be now, you can go ahead and feed the lawn also to stimulate as much new growth as you can. And then the last thing I would surely check on is uh, the pH of your lawn. Uh, you want a pH out there between 6.2 and 6.8, 6.5 being ideal. And all that means is if it's below that, then put lime down until you get that pH up where it belongs. So potentially lime, potentially feeding the lawn, and most definitely, Sonia, getting out there and spraying 
usually a couple times with a weed killer that's going to kill a lot of those weeds out. Right. I didn't know you had another Mm -hmm. lawn question, and I just, like, in the middle of the lawn question said, hey, there's a lot of annuals that are perennials. Just threw that in there. What do you mean? A lot of That's okay. There are a lot of annuals that are perennials. Yeah. Is that what you said? A lot of annuals are perennials? <laughs> yeah, like mean, uh, like the secretia. It's sold as an annual, yeah. but it actually comes back in the dianthus. Well, it has the potential to come back. It does, man. It comes back and, then, and like, back and back. Well, and then like lantana. A lot of people, uh-huh. you know, lantana is a perennial. The further south you go, mm-hmm. and sometimes here it's a perennial, yeah. but it's really sold as an annual. Right, I've seen know? Mexican heather come mm-hmm. back. Um, begonias sometimes won't freeze all to the ground. And, of course, again, it's a weather thing, too. But there's a lot of annuals that can possibly come back every year or from seed. But that's a whole different thing. That wouldn't be an annual. Would that be a biannual? No, that wouldn't no, be. that would be an annual. Because it comes back. Well, yeah, that, that is true, even though it comes back from Birth seed. Birth to death <laughs> in one year. Yeah, a good point. And you know how we always get that mixed up? An annual seems like it should be a pr- uh, the name. Like a- everybody thinks annual means it comes back annually. Means you plant it annually. But to me, I'm like, and people, and perennial for some reason seems like it just lasts for one year. We always get that confused the first time gardeners. And let me say this really quick with Sonia who texted in about her son um, and her, you know, the weedy lawn. We mentioned. <laughs> I'm trying to get off the lawn. Well, well, let me just say this quick. We mentioned the weed free zone. Mm-hmm. The weed free zone is going to kill broadleaf weeds. Fertilome has another product. It's called uh, Weed Out with Nutsedge Control. It's got uh, the sulfur zone in it, and it's also got a pre-emergent added to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it will kill a lot of different types of weeds, but it will also keep weed seed from coming back in the lawn. So I just don't want her to think that Weed Free Zone is the only product out there, but it's definitely one of the better ones out there. One thing I do want to mention, though, is that if you think that seeding is going to be part of your plan, then you don't want to apply any of the herbicides that we've been talking about, okay? Uh, if You kind of need to take a look at your at first identify what kind of turf you've got. If it's Bermuda, all right, the... All right, we're going to head to a break real quick, and Robert, and you hang you on, and we it. will come right back to you, Robert. <laughs> Thank you, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Veda has got food in her mouth otherwise. <laughs> I'm like pointing at him. Somebody say something, please. Oh, Lordy. Welcome back, everybody. Jim that, and Veda. Um, that's how Jim gets me to not interrupt. <laughs> Just gives me something to eat. feed or something. But if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. And of course, you listen to Mid-South Gardening right here on the Mighty 990 KWM. And you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text and we'll get back into the lawns like Sonia texted Well, yeah, no, let's go ahead and go to the lawns. I was thinking that he was on hold, but he just has a question. Okay. But if you want to go to the lawns and then we'll go to tomatoes. Yeah, let's go back. So hang on, Robert. Um, but Sonia had texted in. Her son had moved into a house, of right. course, like so many people do. And the lawn is just full of weeds, you know, and it's, it's because there again, for whatever reason. Uh, and then what can she do, she said, to get rid of the, the weeds and, and get grass back? Okay. Well, the first thing you want to determine is, do you even have enough grass there to work with? <laughs> and that's what the base. Okay. You're right. If you don't, then here's the plan. We wait till after May 1st because you can't plant Bermuda grass seed till after May 1st. Mm-hmm. has to be good and warm. Ground temperature has to be warm. So, And then you just spray everything out there with glyphosate or roundup it kills everything you've got does nothing to the soil two days later you can till it under uh and plant so you've got to just nuke it right 
And, yeah. and, and, and can, let me, can I say this real quick, Jim? No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, because like you just said, I mean, if you're doing Bermuda seed, you want to wait till after May 1st, right. usually around mid-May. But first of all, you got to determine if you get enough sun to support that Bermuda. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And if not, you can go with zoysia or something else. All right. Now, if you have some grass there, the more often you mow it and the lower you mow it, the more tillering you get. And that's what makes it spread. If you're cutting it four inches tall, it ain't going to spread for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you want to fertilize it fairly heavily and get your mower down as low as you can and mow it every third or fourth day if because we're trying to thicken it up. If you mow it every week, it ain't going to work. Okay. Hmm. So, and then once we get to May, go ahead and do your seeding and we can always get the weeds out. That's mm-hmm. the easiest part. Okay. Mm-hmm. So do the, do your fertilizing, do the more soil prep you can do. And that's just running, wrench a soil aerator. You know, if you can till, that's even better. If not, but just take our soil aerator. You can run across what's grass is there and just pulverize the soil. You're going to drive some organic matter into the ground, mm. and then you'll be able to sow your seed after May or whenever the ground temperature mm. gets up to 60 degrees or so. All right. Then next, late in the summer, once the grass seed is up and you've had to mow it, two or three times, then we can start looking at getting rid of the seed. And we're going to start by doing a pre-emerge in September. Mm -hmm. Get on a pre-emerge program four times a year. Starting in September, do it every 90 days. Next year, you won't have any weeds. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty simple to get rid of them. Okay. So there are other, there are different angles, different ways we can look at a lawn like that, Jim, and try to get the lawn back. Perfect. All right. We had a tomato question. Yeah. Is potting mix sufficient for growing tomatoes? And that's Robert from Millington calling to ask that. Is, is potting mix sufficient for growing tomatoes? Yes. Well, two yes. ways. Yes. Yeah. And because sufficient means does it <clears throat> offer everything it needs? Well, let's start with if you're tr- either trying to grow a tomato in a container or you're trying mm-hmm. to grow a, a tomato in a tomato, <laughs> a tomato in a, in a ground plot. Uh, if you're growing a tomato in a container, uh, then yeah, I mean potting soil is typically. What but that's we use. not the dollar ninety-seven stuff, no. okay? No, no. <laughs> you need a lighter weight mix. It's it's going, you know, and you get th- most people that make a mistake with tomatoes and containers is they don't use a container big enough. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you gotta have plenty of soil on there because there's lots of roots down there, and they've got to have enough moisture. To, to produce a crop. And, you know, if you're using something smaller than a 15-gallon container, mm-hmm. uh, that's iffy. I would mm-hmm. rather have a 25-gallon or so to be able to have enough root space uh, and for that thing not to dry out every 30 mm-hmm. minutes during the course of the day. Right. It's too difficult <clears throat> to grow a tomato in a small container. I agree. It's, you have to basically sit out there with the watering can. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about if you're growing a tomato in a ground plot? Then, then, you know, adding a potting mix or a pro mix or a garden soil or any kind of compost, uh, any of those are fine to amend the soil with. They are. It's an expensive amendment versus just cotton burr, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, which is going to do equally as good a job for you. And then, you know, the, yeah. the three things I like to think about, or maybe four when I'm growing tomatoes, um, whether it's in a container or whether it's in a, a garden plot, one is amending the soil in the garden plot, and like you said, two is making sure I use a good, high-quality potting soil if it's in a container. Secondly is making sure the pH is up, especially if we're talking about a garden area, a garden plot. 
um, how we were talking about the lawn while ago, you know, a pH of anywhere from 6.2 to 6.8, 6.5 being ideal. You want the same thing really for your vegetable garden. So typically people are liming their vegetable garden a little bit every year to keep the pH up. I want to mention something because you hit on it right there. Somebody sent me something this week that showed them a person dropping a tum in the bottom of the hole <laughs> while planting a tomato, and he said he didn't have blossom in rot love because it. of it. The calcium, calcium that's in, the in there. Right. And the question to me was, will this work? Mm-hmm. Guess, and the answer is, yeah. no. 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 It, tums are calcium carbonate, same thing as lime. Okay, what happens when soils get wet with lime? You get, get blossom in rot yep. because that type calcium <laughs> is not available to the plant. That's with, funny. When the soil's wet, you need calcium nitrate yeah, and calcium or nitrate. calcium chloride right. to get that pH, I mean, to get that calcium level get the uptake. up into the plant. So, so basically, a soil's probably good with plenty of calcium, and it's just... Uh, it's just locked up in a form the plant can't get to. Normally, we have enough calcium in our soil here, mm-hmm. but we get lots of water, slow percolation rate, and so that calcium's not available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why we use the blossom end rots, the calcium nitrate. Or the that's calcium available plant. immediately to the plant. Yeah. So, and then, no, it doesn't help to put a Tums down in the that's bottom. That's funny. It and, and doesn't diff- help put eggshells down there either. So <laughs> there. The difference, the calcium nitrate is a granulated product, which I love. I mean, it, it, I love using that around tomatoes. Uh, not only does it encourage growth, but it also helps prevent the blossom end rot. The calcium chloride is in the liquid, the yield booster, mm-hmm. that you mix and pour or spray. But they both will help prevent that blossom right. end rot. Yeah, and then you can find organic products that have some extra calcium chloride in it. Uh, and that that's a good thing to do is just keep your soil healthy. Because like Jim said, in a couple of years, your soil can revert back to non to not sufficient soil and that's why we're always saying add organic matter add organic matter right. because you want all those soil microorganisms and all of that because like um in your soil you already have fracerium rhizoctonia uh, Pythium, Phytophthora, yeah, all that. None of those are good, just in case yeah, you don't Yeah, right, know. <laughs> right. So th- that's always in your soil, and that's where you get your fungal problems. But if you're using mm-hmm. organic matter, you get to put in some of the good bacteria or the good fungus that can help battle the bad fungus. Yeah, I, in fact, something like tomatotone. Can you see the fungus yes, battling I can. each other? But tomatotone <laughs> is an aspoma product, but it's just a, a dry tomato food, tomatotone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has mycorrhiza added to it, just like the garden tone does. Now, there are many other fertilizers that are basically all good. Uh, and whether you're using a water-soluble, um, or like Fox Farm, you know, mm-hmm. Grow Big or Big Bloom, yeah, or whether you use it, yeah, or whether you're using a granulated uh, product, either way you're fine. But you want to feed the tomatoes during the growing season. You want to make sure that you try your best to keep mm-hmm. the tomatoes at a constant moisture not really wet to really dry and really dry to really wet. Constant moisture. Uh, it makes a difference also. You're talking about the blossom end rot, Jim. A lot of times that up and down watering can also cause blossom end rot. All right. Oh, and we've got Jamie from Memphis. But I think we got to run to a break before we go to Jamie. I think that might be... Is that Jamie, our master gardener? I think it is Jamie. Well, we'll find out. I don't out. know. But See, it, I'm confused. because. But he if he's questions. asking about tomatoes, I, it probably yeah, is. That's right. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And let's go to Jamie, who's been holding. Thank you, Jamie. You're in the garden. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. 
Boy, y'all, y'all rang my bell earlier this morning here. Oh, did we? Uh-oh. <laughs> what did they do? No, 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 no. When you were talking about tomatoes and uh, biggest containers and how to grow them in that way, and, and we we tried this. We pulled them up one one fall to see how deep and how wide the uh, the tap root goes down. Mm-hmm. And and the, the ta- now we we're dealing pretty much with ideal circumstances in a raised bed garden. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, about the longest tap roots you'll find uh, we found was about eighteen inches deep. Mm-hmm. But the side, the feeder roots coming off of those things will go at least uh, sometimes two foot on each side. Yeah, good Lord. You know, so... And, and that, uh, people ask me, can you grow a tomato plant in, in a, uh, a Lowe's bucket? Yeah, you can, but it, you're not going to get much out of it. Yeah. So... And, and we found that true uh, with just... From a, our experience or whatever, you have to... Uh, you got to take some, uh, at least the size of a whiskey barrel. Yeah. And uh, that... That way you can grow it, but you better stand over with a water hose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Jim, what would you go say? Well, I think what he's found in, in, with the tomato plant is exactly the way all plants do in our mm-hmm. soil here. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you it, picture a wine goblet and a dinner plate. That's what your root zone versus the top looks like. It's wider than the top, and it's that way for a reason in our soil. It's competing for nitrogen from the rain, mm-hmm. and so it covers a huge area to get that nitrogen. Yeah. And, and Jamie, have you seen, or Jim or Veda, seen people growing um, vegetables in these new smart pots, mm-hmm. you know, which is like a, a pot made out of fabric? Uh, I really love these mm-hmm. things. Oh, yeah, yeah. First of all, they're lightweight. You mm-hmm. can They come in a bunch of different sizes, uh, Jamie, and, uh, you know, they, they drain well, of course, uh, but it's called a smart pot. And I, a lot of people are growing vegetables, including tomatoes, in these what they call smart pots. They come in uh, different sizes, like I said, but you can also get them in a raised bed size smart pot. So they look like the uh, the felt ground yeah, yes, um, yes. weed barrier that is now made A little thicker a than that, but it's, yeah. it is a, a fabric. So, Jamie, if I turn a tomato in this year to, in the tomato uh, Great Tomato Contest and I happen to win first prize— <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll take all the credit, but it could be the pot, uh, the smart pot that I'm growing them in. And, and if okay. if that happens, I'll eat every tomato that's entered the contest. No, like if, if <laughs> Kenneth actually grows a tomato and brings, yeah, that's how much faith you have that he's not yeah. bringing. Yeah, this is a sure thing. Right, sure thing. See yeah. what happens, Jamie. I, I get no respect at all, buddy. <laughs> You're right, but you've earned it. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> you know. I have I have no uh, I don't know anything about a smart pot, but I do know that uh, you know you, it's hard to grow it in a in a in a, uh, a Lowe's bucket or whatever. Uh, I got you, buddy. Well, Jamie but is anyway, all. Just, Go ahead, buddy. I just wanted to thank y'all for being there, whatever, and, and I wanted to add that little bit to it. Thank, thank you, you Jamie. sir. We'll be thinking about you over the next few weeks. All right, buddy. Thank you, Jamie. Y'all be safe. We love you, buddy. Right. Thank you, man. Yeah, well, I wonder why they call it a smart bucket. Because it it holds, it's got good air circulation. It, mm-hmm. it has good drainage. But they're black. Wouldn't that it's just lightweight? Absorb and what in happens the if you pick it up? How many feeder roots do you rip off? Oh, yeah. That's true because it'd root right through it to the ground, there which should to, be smart. Years ago, they started growing up in McMinnville, started doing those fabric yeah. type pots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they didn't, didn't catch on very well. Mm-hmm. And. I, what we found was that if you tried to move them in the nursery, you know, that you would end up disrupt, disrupting it and they'd start wilting on you. 
So yeah. they went, most all of them went back to containers as they were getting away from the bald and burlap stuff. Yeah, and so. but I, but these are cool. I mean, you know, it's kind of like to me, you know, growing something in a, in a like Jamie was just saying, in a Home Depot pot, a plastic yeah. pot, compared to even a clay pot. Uh, well, I would if much, you're growing it on the deck, yeah, well, also, yeah, but I would prefer to even grow in clay, for the most part, than I would in in plastic. Uh, clay, oh, yeah. you know, it, it's it, it it lets air move mm-hmm. through the pot. Uh, it actually absorbs the moisture and then releases it. Yeah. Every little bit counts. <clears throat> yeah. So I mean, so I mean, look, I'm not shaming anybody that grows a tomato or anything else in a plastic clay or because it's your soil, really. <laughs> and how much you how much you take care of it. Yeah. That's exactly right. Hmm. So. So there. So there. <laughs> I got your line now. I say I hear myself saying that in the week. So there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for planning that in uh, my head. Did we already have a break? Yeah, we already had a break. Well, but we? we got one in about eight minutes. But also, guys, let me say <laughs> eight this. Eight minutes. The, you know, we get customers at Dan West, just like you do, Veda, uh, and they come in with either pictures or samples and want to know what a problem is, Okay. Had a young lady that had some boxwoods, uh, the uh, hybrid boxwoods, whether it was a baby gym or a green velvet or even uh, wintergreen. It was one of these hybrid boxwoods. Had someone come in there and plant quite a few of them last year, okay? And the pictures that she showed me, almost on every one of the boxwoods that they planted last year uh, had some dead tissue in it. Some of them a little more than others. I mean, it looks like where a dog hiked their leg, and you mm-hmm. get these brown limbs, okay? Uh, but she knows this wasn't the case because it's in a backyard, it's fenced in, and they don't have a dog. So the reason I'm bringing this up is we do see some of that from time to time. And what I told this young lady, I said, well, look, the best thing you can do at this point is, first of all, cut out the dead tissue. Dead tissue does you no good whatsoever, right? It's never going to come back. It's dead. (laughs) So you can selectively cut out the dead tissue. But then let's try to figure out why are you having this problem? Uh, And one, you know, when I was looking at the picture, you could see these mounds of mulch in this bed, okay? I'm not saying there's anything, absolutely nothing wrong with putting mulch down around plants. But there are some plants that don't like excessive mulch on their root system because they're so shallow-rooted. Uh, Japanese maples and even boxwoods, for example. And azaleas. Yeah, and azaleas and mostly everything. So I said, if this mulch, <laughs> you know, if it's more than half an inch thick or even, no more than three-quarter, but even half an inch, get that excessive mulch off the root system of these plants. That's number one. Two is, what about your drainage? You know, you always want to make sure that you have good drainage around things like boxwoods. You know, here we go, they just saying wet feet. They mm-hmm. don't like wet feet. So I said, get a root stimulator. First of all, pull some of that mulch back because it was way too heavy. Secondly, feed these boxwoods. Get some milorganite, plant tone, uh, you know, just a good non-burning organic fertilizer and feed them. Check the pH, potentially put some lime around right. them. The root stimulator is the super thrive with the seaweed. Absolutely. Get you a root st- or a stimulant that stimulates good root growth. And I say saturate that root system. You can do it once a week for a month. But you're trying to do everything you can to make these plants grow, put out new growth. Um, because like a, time, a lot of times, you know, we'll treat a symptom, but it's much larger than that. You right. Know? Yes. So yes. so you always try to figure out what really the problem is. And I think in this case, it was a combination of problems, Jim. And I think 
You know, it wasn't a whole lot of dead tissue in these boxwoods, but it was enough to see. But for the most part, these boxwoods still looked okay. But I think if they don't have excessive mulch, they've got good drainage, they've got the pH up where it needs to be, they're feeding these boxwoods, and they're coming back and using a stimulant, hopefully these boxwoods be okay through the growing season. Yeah, the other thing that I would look at is see what's accumulated in the crotch of it, you know, because boxwoods are bad about defoliating and their own foliage getting in the crotch of the plant. Yeah. Uh, and there shouldn't be anything in there because your description of what it doing sounds exactly like volutella which is a, a fungus that and it starts right there in the crotch sometimes you'll see little pink pustules in there if you look close enough but you'll have just a limb die or, or four or, or four, yeah, yeah. right but it's just a section of the plant instead of a genuine decline over the whole plant is this the same volutella gem that can attack pachysandra and uh, those yes, kind of things is. yeah uh-huh. same same disease yeah so, um, yeah, I would uh, you make sure that you kind of stick your blower down in there and, mm-hmm. and blow the inside of it out, get everything out of that crotch. Yeah, yeah, something else to think about, yeah. Mike. There's that lawn maintenance because you probably see a lot of people who blow their leaves up under the shrubs, and they do it so much that it's never able to break down into usable compost because sometimes you can just make it anaerobic by having so much weight with all the leaves mm-hmm. on it. So maybe every once in a while, make sure the leaves go out in the yard and then mow them and mulch them or put them in a bag so me and Jim can drive by and take them off the curb for our own compost pile. I don't, I don't need any more now. Yeah. <laughs> I got plenty. And Grant, hang on just a second. But when I mentioned root stimulator, Betty, you mentioned Super Thrive. There's so many, well, I say so many. There's some really good rooting hormones that are out there. Uh, there's root stimulator that's got... Indole 3 butyric acid. Thank you, Jim. And that is a good stimulant. That's a fertilone product that you yes. just mix with water and pour. Betty, you mentioned the Super Thrive. Super Thrive with the seaweed, which is seaweed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Super Thrive is a really good product also. It's a combination of hormones and vitamins, and it's got seaweed added to it now, which is seaweed, beta. And you mix that with water, and you pour that on the root system also. But And even liquid seaweed by itself. Any of those products are great to stimulate as much good root growth as you can or a combination of those products. So... Uh, keep that in mind. And not only on plants that are stressed, like these boxwoods we were talking about, but when you plant or transplant, it's good to use these stimulants also. Yeah, always. You know, sometimes when I have things that don't get enough water, especially in the garden center, when I water it, I'll put that root stimulator in there because I know the plant is stressed already exactly. because it's sitting there being very dry. And that's causing the plant to slowly, slowly break down into dying. So I'm wanting to give it some more nutrients to rejuvenate the stress that it just went through. So let's see. We've got enough time for Grant. If we can't get all the answers, we'll get him after the break. But good morning, Grant. You're in the garden. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for the call. How can we help you? Two quick questions. Y'all just talked about root stimulator. How soon um, after a rain do you do you put that on, or should you? Oh, either you way, because getting just washed out. Oh, well, see, when you put the root stimulator on, it's immediately going to go into the soil and bond with the soil, or the plant's going to take it up quickly. But I like to have the water or the plant moist, so that way it can mm-hmm. absorb all the root stimulator and uh, work quicker. All right, okay. so you've got another Other question? Quick, hang yeah, on. Question. Yeah, hang on, and we're going to run okay. to the break, and then we're going to okay. get your next one. Thank Thanks, you, Grant. Grant. 
Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And we're going to go back to Grant, who has another question. Good morning, Grant. Yes, ma'am. So, really quick, what happens, what will happen to a peony if you've accidentally cut it with a weed eater <laughs> this time of year? Like, it's not oh, put is... out its bloom yet. It's not put out, of, you know, it's just, just coming out. It's so, the question is, for... what's going to happen to you? Right. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm upset. Right, right. <laughs> it's going to put out more more pips off of it. That how, plant's not dead, right? No, no. How how old a plant is it? Three years old. Oh yeah, no. Um, you can you could knock it off and it'll resprout again. May not bloom, but you'll get new growth on it. Great. Okay. Yeah, I can hear the relief <laughs> literally in his voice. Well, thank you so much for taking my questions. Hey, right, thank, thank you, you for Grant. calling. Sorry you had a hole through yes. the breakthrough. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate no, it, no buddy. No problem. No problem. Thanks. Bye bye. So. Um, that sounded like uh, either he was passionate about his peony or peony, or he's going to get or in trouble. Or his wife was yeah. real passionate. And he needed to find a quick answer. <laughs> and, and, and what do y'all want to do with peonies this time of year? You know, when they're coming out of the ground, of course. Well, mine are about to bloom. I yeah. know. That's what, how? Yeah. And, and about <laughs> so to bloom. Fast. I mean, do you, Jim or Aveda, are y'all proactive in, in using a fungicide around them? Or do you? I don't have trouble with botrytis because most of mine get good air movement. Okay. And um, I haven't had any. Are you full sun or part shade? Well, uh, they would be full sun. They mm-hmm. they are shaded in the morning for a few hours. Yeah, but they're getting sun. a minimum of eight or nine hours of full sun. Wait, you said full sun in the morning? No, they get oh. some shade early in the morning when the sun's first coming up. There's yeah. the oak tree blocks it, but. You know, by 10 o'clock or so, it's in full sun. And I think that's key with growing peonies. Mm -hmm. I mean, they definitely need more sun than shade. And like you said, Jim, they also need that good air circulation. They need their space. They don't like root competition from Mm -hmm. other things. And they don't like to be planted too deep at all. Oh, you won't get any bloom. That is the biggest mistake I see, too, because Mm -hmm. so many people will read things and it'll say, plant it four inches deep. Well, that works fine in Iowa corn country where, you know, you can stick your arm down the soil to its elbow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But not here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's so so basically depending on um where your what site type of soil you have, we plant it high here because our soil's clay. Right. That's that's interesting. I've never thought cuz I'm thinking it's all across the board. No. Make sure the pips are showing. Yeah. Okay. So that's good to know. Hey, let's go to Bob. Good morning, Bob. You're in the garden. Good morning. Hey, Bob. Maybe you covered this earlier, but uh, how do I get rid of Poana? Well, you know, you can always put a for sale sign in the front yard and just get out of there, <laughs> or right? Or make it a golf course <laughs> just for spring. <laughs> no, uh, if it's growing in Bermuda or Zoysia, uh, there's a product called Image <clears throat> that we talked about earlier, Bob. Image will kill actively growing Poana. Now, a couple of things I want to say. One, if you're going to use Image in either Bermuda or Zoysia, you don't want to use it when the Bermuda or Zoysia is coming out of dormancy, and you never want to use image when it's going into dormancy. You don't want to use it during what they call the transition period. Let the Bermuda or the Zoysia, you know, go ahead and green up, and then you're fine to use a product like image, okay? But image will kill annual bluegrass, which is poana. Now, if you don't do anything, the poana is going to burn out naturally when it gets hot, Okay. But what happens is it drops a million little seeds down that re-germinate every year. So regardless of what you do this time of year, whether you let it burn out naturally or whether you go out there and spray with a product like Image, 
I still want you to put a pre-emergent down in the fall. And like Jim was saying a while ago, Jim likes to put a pre-emergent down every three, uh, three or four times a year, like every three months. Yeah, for, put that pre-emergent particularly down, particularly from Poana, because yeah. I've seen it come up real early. Yeah. Uh, but that, if you put the pre-emergence down, Bob, you're going to keep most of that seed from ever even coming up to start with. So pre-emergence starting in the fall for sure, and then spraying with a product like Image uh, this time of year. Okay, and so what you're saying is you don't use it right now. You got to wait until your yeah. I, I would wait wait just to, and about the time you mowed it twice. Yeah, I mean, probably another couple more weeks. Yeah. Uh, warm weather, let this Bermuda really come on out a little more than it has, Bobby. You'll be fine, buddy. And I was uh, at another garden store that day and saw a new product I'd never seen before yes. from Roundup for long. Yeah, I mean, Roundup, they're using just the brand name, uh, kind of like that's you know, cream, you know. And all that. Yeah, yeah. But, but it depends on what's in there. I mean, it's not probably the glyphosate that you find in old-fashioned Roundup. It's got to be another active in there. But I don't know right. of a, a lot of things that you got to be particular on things that will actually kill Poana. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your wisdom. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate Thanks, the Bob, phone call, buddy. Call. And I got a text right. from um, from somebody called, named Gina Mabry that <laughs> said she never got her daffodils. <laughs> oh. And uh, wants to know if she can get a peony. Uh, which I would highly suggest, Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> to get that peony. You know? mm-hmm. so Look, another... she's calling you out on the air, and Jim's helping. Yeah. Saw... She knows if she sends a text to Jim that he'll bust me <laughs> yeah. no problem whatsoever. I saw a really good picture. You know, he was talking about his Christmas cactus was blooming again, you know. Yeah. And it's... Well, one mind, it was Gina's, and it was okay. a beautiful picture. Okay, all right. It was Gina's Christmas cactus, but Kenneth hadn't been turning it. Yeah, so Jim, it was beautiful. It was blooming on one side, right? It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, and it still is even to this point. So it was just happening. And then Jim sends my wife, Gina, a text going, shame on me for not turning this thing like every four yeah. or five days. And I'm like, Cause it's there, he, the second I was time like now. there he goes again, you know, uh-huh, just busting you. And didn't, didn't, wasn't he just saying a while ago about your house plants, like turn them every time you water? Well, I think that was me. Oh, yeah, that was you. <laughs> Kenneth doesn't Ken- do that. Yeah, you just didn't know. <laughs> he was you looking just... at he was looking at me when he said it. Oh, you just didn't know, did you? <laughs> okay, let's go to Paul. Good morning, Paul. You're in the garden. Good morning, folks. Hey, Good Mr. morning, Mr. Mr. Paul. I tell you what. Thank God I've got friends like <laughs> you because if I only had friends like these two, I'd be in trouble. Yeah, I know it. I, they've been giving you a ration this morning pretty good. <laughs> but, but it's your time to get picked on, Kenneth. I yeah. guess it is, buddy. But good morning to you, Mr. Paul. Uh, Jim, I wanted to ask you a while ago, y'all was talking about pot and soil. Do you remember when we used to could get that Michigan peat? Oh, yes. yeah. Back toe potting soil? What was that stuff? That was that was back toe potting soil made by the Michigan Peat Company, and uh, you yeah, know, was, what was it? Was it uh, what, what? What was it? Good dirt? No, no, uh, okay. it was what we got because it was about the only thing available. Mm-hmm. You know, I know um, it was. But you're saying it probably wasn't that good because it had so much peat in it. Jim? It had a lot of peat, yeah, and it was one of those that you know it was extremely heavy when it was wet. 
Uh, and, it was, I guarantee you. It was yeah, heavy. and then once it dried, it was sort of like concrete. <laughs> so you went, so you went from, you went from extremely wet, heavy soil yeah. to not watering as much, and doing the right thing to dried up now, brick. The one thing, if you would put some of the ferns, would grow beautifully in it. If you didn't pack it, when you put it in your container, just loosely shake it in there yeah. and never, never drop the pot that would pack it. Just let it grow. And some of the ferns, particularly the uh, rabbit foot ferns, they grew mm. really well in it. But uh, most things, no, it was, you know, we'd, tell, we'd sell perlite along with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, it, and I don't even see I don't even see that anymore. Do they still make it? Yeah, it's still out there, Mister yeah. Paul. You can still find it. Um, but there are so many other potting mediums uh, that are on the market now. I mean, it makes your head spin, really. Um, but yeah, we have become educated. Hadn't we? Yes, yeah. we have. Yeah. You know, and I always say, I'm telling you, whether it's uh, we're growing stuff in containers, whether you're growing sedums, Mister Paul, as you know or whether you're growing things in a plot, it all starts with the soil. And I'm telling you, potting soils are, are a big deal. There are some that, like Jim said, that are super heavy that will kill anything and everything you put into them. And then there's some that are won't hold any moisture whatsoever, you know? Right. Well, we've come a long way with gardening, and it's a whole lot due to you guys because y'all do a great job of getting information out there. And, of course, the master gardeners and all the people at Botanic Garden and Dixon, and it's just education. I mean, the main thing is knowing yeah. what you need to know before you do it. I mean, knowledge is everything, but I'm going to tell you what, though, Mr. Paul, I always have a great weekend when I hear your voice at least once on a Saturday. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just throwing that out there for you, Mr. Paul. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad to hear Jamie and Jan calling me and everybody calling in this morning and checking with y'all. Yeah. Y'all have a great weekend and happy Easter season. Thank, Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Happy Easter, buddy. So, Mr. Bye Paul, give my, goodbye, Mr. Paul. Um, so, Mr. Paul, saying what you thought you thought wasn't what you thought. I'm not sure he could say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we learn so much stuff. I mean, we study, study, study. Yeah. And for... for this whole time, but now there's new I, stuff to add to it. I'm, I'm, I, I follow a lot of plant groups. You know? yeah. and one of the ones is the Tennessee Master Gardener. Yeah. It's, not, it's not just the Shelby County one. Yeah. Well, I was going between them the other night and you know answering a few questions here and there, and there was one, and I thought I was still on my our side, Mid-South Garden, <laughs> and there was this thing about somebody had posted a link to an article about how to grow turf. This person, excellent writer, knew mm-hmm. nothing about turf management. Right. Okay. And so I said, you know, go to a garden center yeah. and get good, accurate information. And I got called out by somebody that works at UT. Oh. <laughs> 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 he said, they really need to go to our site and read our pamphlets, you know, for good science-based information. And I, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> well, now there's that. Yeah. You, so I, you could not get access I, to that type of information. Yeah. So quickly. I apologized and then deleted it. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. But, oh. but you know, think about it. I mean, it's, it's so much easier now for us as, as homeowners, um, backyard gardeners, growing in containers, houseplant growers, whatever. It really is a lot easier for us to be successful uh, with the products that are available to us now. Absolutely. Uh, and whether it's, you know, killing weeds or whether it's pre-emergence or whether it's feeding or whether it's the medians that we use, 
there's so many great products out there now. And and also, when, when it comes even to the insecticides, fungicides, and herbicides, uh, there's so many safer products out there now, for whatever that means. But, you know, even organics, we've got to be careful with. But there's so many good, safe products out there. So I tell you, all this this innovation makes it just easier for us to be successful. Yeah. You know? Well, there's another saying. The more you know, the less you know. <laughs> We're going to take a break and be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Okay, here's something that I wanted. You know, when you prune things, and if you don't prune them all the way down to the bud union Mm -hmm. or down to the trunk, I've heard, and this never makes sense to me, that it tries to rejuvenate that dead part and it takes energy from making the new growth. Isn't that just false? I mean, does it try to rejuvenate the dead part? (laughs) If, if it has adventitious buds, then when you cut it, it wants to form a bud right there, and it will do it, mm-hmm. okay? It will take energy and make that bud because it wants to go to the highest bud. If it's one that doesn't have adventitious buds and only it will break below that, mm-hmm. and usually that top will die back. Right. So right. And so I had heard, you know, somebody's just saying something that – that you need to prune off that dead, say, if you don't cut it at a bit, dead well, blood about, union. You're talking about dead tissue. But yeah. it, it, again, depends on whether or not it'll form its own bud. So it's it's halfway right. accurate. Okay, well, at least uh, I got that Another information. Another thing important, too, <clears throat> is, is no, buds, when, they, when they, they, they're pre-programmed to do something, mm-hmm. if you take a cutting from, say, uh, an East Palatka holly mm-hmm. off a lower limb, yeah. when you grow it, it will grow sideways. That's it crazy. It's a lower up. limb. That is right. crazy. You need to take a bud from one that's growing upright. It's pre-programmed to do that. So you take that cutting, and that one will grow straight up. Mm, wow. That's I'm just sitting here thinking about that for a minute. So, yeah, wow. So let's take our cuttings from the top, not the bottom. That's right. If you have something that you want height on, now if you want it to just sprawl out, take a side cutting off of it. But that's holds true with things like camellias too. You want to try to take your cuttings from upright. Wow, no, that's yeah. some great information. That's crazy thinking about it. You know, because uh, well, it depends on your height. I might be trying to cut from the bottom and realize I need to cut from the top. And what about lastly, uh, a lot of people are confused when they see lichen growing mm-hmm. on things. You, whether it's a mature oak tree that you see lichen growing on the trunk of that tree, uh, whether it's old azaleas. I know, you know I don't liken it at all on my plants. You're not liking it. Get it? I got that made up. <laughs> but but the, the lichen is not typically is what's going to kill right. a limb. A lot no. of times you'll yeah. see lichen growing on a dead limb, and people think that, hey, this is what's killing mm-hmm. my plant. Yeah. You know, when, like There again, we see it in some of these old shrubs. Uh, lichen, for the most part, other than being superficially ugly to some people, uh, is not killing the plant. Now, having said that, lichen usually will attack plants that are under a lot of heavy shade, uh, poor air circulation. Mm-hmm. Maybe under stress. Under yeah, stress. That's, it's a good indicator that stress is involved. Right. So it, uh, what, the reason we're saying this is if you do see lichen growing on some of your shrubs or uh, trees or limbs or whatever, um, don't worry so much about the lichen mm-hmm. itself, like I said, because it's not really hurting anything for the most part uh concentrate on getting whatever plant or tree or shrub or specimen this is 
healthier, okay? Yeah. Because so many people will bring in pictures or they'll bring in samples of limbs that have lichen grown on and go, how do I get rid of this because it's killing my plant? And that's not really the case. No. The, the lichens just has a new home because the plant's <clears throat> stressed. So like you said, just improve the, improve the stress of the plant. <laughs> Does that mean make it stress? Improve the soil and the nutrients and all of that to try to get the plant out of stress. But like Jim was saying, too, sometimes things are planted too close together. Oh, yeah. It's not the fertilizer that's going to make a difference. It's sometimes just transplanting or moving the plant all together. Yeah, And I have seen, you know, some limbs that have a lot of lichen mm-hmm. on it. And that's why I'm, I would never say that it would never have adverse effects uh-huh. because it can hold moisture and then you can get some rot so indirectly it can hurt maybe yeah. some plants or tree limbs or whatever but typically speaking uh if you're seeing lichen it's not the lichen for the most part that's the problem is something else is underlying yeah we had a uh, someone post a picture this week uh of the trunk of a tree i think it was a dogwood um that or it may have been a japanese maple but anyway it had fu- it looked like fuzz growing all the way up and down the trunk of this thing and they the question was is this going to hurt my my plant and i said well actually the plant's already in trouble was that lichen that was growing on there jim yeah if you look at looked at the bottom of the plant you could see where there was some bark missing and mm-hmm. I, I told him if you i think you check you're going to find a lot of loose bark there because it probably was damaged in that november well, 19 weather. freeze this was yeah it was a, it was a, a big japanese maple so this is um you know it's usually just an indicator when you get those that look like antlers sticking away from the trunk those are not a good sign usually the ones that are flat on the trunks of trees they're nothing you don't need to worry about them they're just pretty but but you can understand why a lot of people would think Mm -hmm. that it's the lichen that's killing my japanese maple because that's what they're seeing on the side of the trunk Mm -hmm. you know so keep that in mind people think the moss is killing your grass (laughs) yeah and jim that was just because the soil's wrong and that's the next thing yeah that i'd written down moss and lawns i mean question mark do we want to keep it do we want to get rid of it but let's say if you want to keep it you know uh you got to be careful with the weed killers that you use out there. You want to keep moss as debris-free as possible. You know, you don't want a lot of leaves or sticks or limbs and all that stuff uh, on moss. Um, but the reason the grass is dying is because the conditions are not good for grass, and the reason the moss is moving in is because the conditions are good for it. Exactly. It isn't the other way around. And, and, and if you want to make it more conducent for grass to grow, uh, usually compaction, you know, happens when you start seeing a lot of moss, so your aeration helps. Uh, trying to create more light. A lot of times you'll have the shade. Things get shadier, it seems like, every year when it comes to our trees. Add lime. Yes, add lime to make the soil more, uh, the higher the pH, less acidic. Um, and all of those things will make it more conducive for grass to grow, Veda, and not the moss. Well, you know, it's about time to go, and we've had so much fun so much fun it feels like we've only done one hour but we've done three hours so do we want to go to four uh anytime (laughs) don't forget we got the memphis plants uh memphis botanic garden plant sale and the fayette cares uh plant sale coming up saturday uh, out at Oakland Elementary, uh, Memphis Botanic Garden. Remember, it's it's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week. You to get in, you must have a reservation. Uh, so, because they're trying to limit the number of people in there at a time. But next week, 
Uh, it's going to be open from like 10 to 2, no reservations needed. Uh, you can go in, I think it's four days, Monday through Thursday, they're going to be open. So uh, this is a good chance. Port a good cause, find some cool plants. Uh, I, at least I'm going to be out there on Friday. Me I think too. I, oh, good. Veda's <laughs> going to be there. So uh, please, we encourage you to come by our tent, uh, drop by, uh, sit down and chat with us for a while. We'd love to hear from you. And Jan just texted in and said, liking it. <laughs> I'm hoping y'all liking this program. See you next Saturday.